for all of my guests, I ask them a sort of would you rather question. And I was thinking about, you know, I don't know you very well. So (laughs) what would you rather would I ask? You know, so you're not insulted because I always ask like, you know, life or death situations of other people. So here's, this is what I thought. If you were trapped in Firestorm with one other podcast host, who would that podcast host be, Shag? Hmm. Probably, um, probably my regular co-host Rob Kelly from F- the Firewater okay. Podcast, or because uh, I-, I wouldn't have any problem bossing him around and telling him what to do. <laughs> okay, so you would be the 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 Stein situation. You'd no, be- no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm definitely not a Stein. I'm more of a Ronnie. I'm oh, the dumb okay. jock. Yeah, I just okay. would be taking control and telling Rob to shut up, and I'm going to ignore him and do exactly the opposite of what he says, unless he comes up with some science. Then I might do it. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. That it would be untrue You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire the time to hesitate is through No time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire Salwete, I'm your host Stella, and this is Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Byrne Podcast, episode 97. Ugh. For March <laughs> MMXV, it gets so close. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are June's Convergence, Nightwing Oracle No. 2, and Convergence, Batgirl No. 2, both for $3.59. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. 
Also, Backroll to Oracle is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com, high-performance noise-reducing earbuds. Purchasers who use the code TBUSAVES get 33% off their whole order and free worldwide shipping. TweakedAudio.com. Plug in, turn up the volume, and give us a try. Backroll to Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe Family Podcast. Hashtag TBU Family. Well, listeners, it is always a pleasure to bring someone new on the show. And this particular person I have known of his reputation for a long time. <laughs> and I don't know <laughs> and I don't know if I ever thought he'd be on the show, but a couple months ago when I found out I was gonna be reviewing one particular issue, I thought I need to have this guy on. So without further ado, a very warm welcome to the irredeemable Shag Matthews. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to let you have me on your show. <laughs> yes. I mean, I had to go through many PR people and red tape to even get to talk to you, to ask you to be on the show. No, I really... You're, but it's Stella, right, by the way? Yes. Okay, right. Yeah, so no, no when my people talk to your people yeah. uh, and they said, this is be good for, you know, your career, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I could, I could step off my perch and come down and help out the little people. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the new gods, and I'm the the people that are underneath the new gods. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. No, honestly, it's it's a real pleasure to be here. I'm a huge, huge fan of Barbara Gordon, um, and I have dropped in on your show from time to time and pick, and listened to some of them. Oh. Um, I, I, well, when you started off, actually, I don't know if you remember, you and I were actually promoting each other when you first started off. You, yeah. You had a Firestorm fan link on your site mm-hmm. for the longest time, and. Yep. So I'm just I'm thrilled to see it has grown and become what it has, and I've listened to several episodes recently in preparation for this, and uh, I'm just glad Donovan's not here. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, and we also have a friend in call, common, the the wonderful Michael Bailey. Friend, okay, if you say so. Oh dear. Well, maybe now's not the time for you to air your grievances against him. Dirty laundry. <laughs> Oh, well, you said you love Barbara Gordon, so since we are on a Barbara Gordon podcast, even though she's not maybe your, the primary character that you you know and, and research and love, what is your history with Babs? I came to her probably differently than most people <coughs> my age. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm not young. <laughs> I... Well, I, my, my first probably inclination of her was uh, Yvonne Craig in the, in the Batman TV series, and, you know, Loved her in the reruns of that. Um, no, I did not see it first run. I saw it in reruns <laughs> growing up. But just thought she was just fantastic in that. And by the way, I just have to say it, uh, whether it be the Yvonne Craig version or the ones in the comic, Barbara Gordon is just smoking hot. Just putting it out there. <laughs> okay. So. Anyway, uh, and then in in the DC comic world, I didn't really get into DC till about Crisis. So I didn't really have... I hate to say no use for her, but Batgirl was just kind of a background character to me. I always thought, oh, she's, you know, a sidekick to Batman is what I thought. But then I, I read, unfortunately, Killing Joke. Mm. Um, that's a whole discussion for another day, obviously, yeah. or, you, or discussions you've already had, I should yeah. say, the two episodes. And I started, you know, I was a little more just like, wow, what's, you know, this was a big dramatic story. And then a friend of mine was reading Suicide Squad, and he said, dude, you've got to check out what they're doing over here with this Oracle character. It's really fascinating. He's telling me, I think she's Barbara Gordon. Sorry, spoilers. And so I started picking it up, and that's when I got into it. And I was, I was totally in from that point. Now, I did not go back and read her background adventures, but I followed pretty much everything Barbara did from that point till 
probably, uh, I don't know, a year or so after, was it Tony Bedard who took over for Gail Simone on Birds? Yes, I believe okay. so, yeah. I was probably up through there. By then, I was starting to drop a lot of DC titles, I and mean, I still had some, but by that point, it was... I, I felt like I had run my course there, I suppose. But I, I stuck with her all through that. I, all the early Birds of Prey specials and one-shots mm-hmm. and miniseries. And yep. I was a huge cheerleader for that book and was so excited when it got picked up as an ongoing. And then everything else she's had, I just... Now, one thing you've talked about a few times that I've missed, I have missed somehow in Batman Chronicles, I missed the Oracle Year One. So i got to dig that up now. i got to find yeah. that. Yeah, yep. Which is great, being yeah. written by, yeah, Ostrander. So she's, I think she's a phenomenal character. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I'll, I'll save it for later. More okay. About her. <laughs> uh, do you have a, a favorite incarnation? In, would you say that it's the 66 series? Or is it, you know, the comics that you've read? Or did you watch any of the animated series when it was on? Oh, I did watch a lot of the animated series. Okay. So, yeah, I should mention that. That's true. And she was great in that series. And I, I liked it when she switched to the black costume. I thought it looked better with the black costume. But um, personally, I, I think probably my favorite incarnation is hers, Oracle. Okay. Um, whether it be the early Chuck Dixon, Dixon issues or into the Gail Simone, I mean, she was, a, a, you know, she, it made so much sense for her to be a girl being a librarian, you know, a keeper of information, mm-hmm. and the way she assisted everyone in the universe, and she was sort of liked almost everyone in the universe, you know, maybe not Guy Gardner and folks like that, but, mm-hmm. she, you know, everyone respected her and realized what a value she was, and the folks who knew her real identity knew she was part of the family, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved, I loved her in, the, in that role. And I was one of the people who was upset when they made her Batgirl again in the New 52. Okay. Yeah. Not to say she doesn't deserve to have that role, but it just, I felt, well, I felt like the journey she went on mm-hmm. from, and maybe I'm delving later, but whatever, the journey she went on from, uh, having being horribly victimized mm-hmm. and this terrible terrible thing that happened to her to the journey she went on to become who she became was amazing i mean dc obviously didn't have that roadmap written out when they wrote killing joke they were just throwing the character away practically but austin juror and his and his you know his wife had the vision to do that and the, the journey's amazing and she becomes such a strong person and it, and it shows someone who was a victim has stood up and to defend themselves and has used what happened to them to become a strength. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think that I'm never going to get over what happened to the killing joke. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I read it the one time that I mm-hmm. basically had to read it and do it, and, and I feel like I, I won't ever really touch it again. But, you know, you asked, is, is should we just feel terrible about it, that this happened to her, or are we able to really move on and see the beauty that came out of it and how she grew? And I think that is the way we need to to see it just uh something di- terrible did happen but i think you know ostrander and yale did such a wonderful thing with taking this this broken human being and giving her a purpose again and just continuing her on this this journey that she had pre pre-crisis because the crisis kind of messed her character up a little bit but uh yeah so I, I think it is very much you know this just dynamic journey that we've seen for this character and, and she really grew into something special for oracle yeah, you know, interesting. I think Crisis is one of two times um, that uh, Barbara Gordon and Firestorm appeared in a comic together. <laughs> oh gosh! Crisis and this comic we're about to read. <laughs> I think that's it. Oh man! Well, yeah, up, and she's only mentioned in one hundred. Up until the Secret Origins that just came out. Yeah, yeah. I forgot 
when you said you didn't want to be on the modern one, and I, I recorded everything since I knew you weren't going to be on, and I totally blanked until tonight that, wait a minute, Secret Origins had Secret Origins Batgirl and Firestorm yeah. in it back. So I should have I should have gotten your uh, two cents on that. Did you read that? I did. I absolutely did. What did, what did you think about it? Out of I context? enjoyed it. And, okay. I, and, I, and I don't know what they've released since then, mm-hmm. you know, because I did read the first issue of the Burnside Batgirl, um, which I loved, absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. I picked it up off the shelf because of the buzz and mm-hmm. thought it was phenomenal. I haven't followed it since just because I'm not reading a lot of modern stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, the way I read that issue, it kind of hinted to me that maybe what happened was she did the Oracle algorithm mm-hmm. and it's become sentient probably now yeah. and that's who Oracle is? Is that yeah. what's going on? Yeah, something, yeah. Yeah. Now, was that who Oracle has always been or just Oracle nowadays? Uh, we're not even sure if it's actually, can we call her Oracle if she doesn't okay. necessarily, you know, exist in New 52. So right now I'm saying it's like Barbara versus Barbara. Okay. But it very much seems like we could weed up into creating Oracle, but I don't know if uh, DC is going to pull that trigger. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. All right. you, know, you know, the other connection I didn't think about was Gail Simone was writing both Firestorm and Batgirl at the beginning of the New 52. There you go. Didn't yes. you think about that. Was right. she doing a good job on uh, Firestorm? Next question. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I don't know if you've listened to my other uh, ones with her. I, I wasn't really caring for her, her run on Batgirl. So, I, um... <laughs> I love Gail. She's very nice. She was kind enough to grant me an interview in the beginning of the Firestorm, which was awesome. And yeah. I think she's a wonderful lady. If I ever get a chance to meet her, I'm going to give her the biggest hug she's ever had. Uh, but uh, that, that was not... And honestly, it's not her fault. It was editorial. I, I agree with that. That that's something that I've I've thought for the longest time that I think she's just she was just sort of backed into a corner and told what she needed to do and, and that oh, was what she had to work with. Are you talking about Batgirl or Firestorm? Uh both. I, th- I think yeah, I was gonna say it's definitely Firestorm and I imagine it's Batgirl yeah. as well. So yeah, I've heard it from enough inside sources that there was a lot of editorial interference on the Firestorm book at least. So yeah. Well, you've dropped the F-bomb a couple times, so we need to talk about what? fire. <laughs> oh, I was like, I'm on my best behavior. No, I haven't. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, Firestorm. So this is really, you know, your your guy. So what is your history with Firestorm? Why do you love this character so much? My favorite incarnation of the character is probably the original one because he's fun. Uh, Firestorm, when he first came out in 1977, same year as Star Wars, by the way, uh, he was created by Jerry Conway. And I'm sure you probably know Jerry Conway from your involvement with Spider-Man. Yep. He tried to create a Marvel character in the DC universe. It was very actively, but he he discusses it openly. And and for the secret identity, he's the, uh, Ronnie Raymond is the opposite of Peter Parker. Peter Parker's the nerd with the heart of gold Mm -hmm. and Flash Gordon's like the dumb jock bully. Right. Firestorm, Ronnie Raymond is the dumb jock with a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. And Cliff Carmichael is the nerd bully. It's, a nerd bully is kind of a weird thing to happen, but it, it, it worked in the story. And, and everything about the comic is just, it was, was, Firestorm was celebrating having his powers. I mean, he dealt with a lot of teenage angst and stuff like that, but he was just having fun. You know, if he had to save somebody, instead of creating, you know, a mattress or somebody's falling off a building, he'd create like a giant rubber duck. Or a bowl of ice cream or something silly. And I love that. I mean, I, I love the wacky sort of humor. I first came upon him in Super Friends, the Super Friends cartoon, which is probably on before you were born. But you may have heard of it. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Ouch. Anyway, um, so it's, uh, 
he got introduced there. Super fun character, and I just that's what was what appealed to me. Now, since then, I've fallen in love with every single incarnation of the character, and there have been tons. It's I think the last count is there's eleven different incarnations mm. of Firestorm and all the mixtures they've done, which is just crazy. But uh, he, he is my favorite character. I do run a blog based on him called Firestorm Fan, FirestormFan.com. Plug, plug. Uh, I do a podcast called the Fire and Water Podcast where I team up with my buddy Rob Kelly who runs the Aquaman Shrine. Do a, so it's a podcast dedicated to the adventures of Aquaman and Firestorm, a very unlikely duo, but so, <laughs> yeah. somehow we make it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just I really dig the character. Now, I wouldn't consider Barbara Gordon an A-list hero. What I mean, what would you say? Um, what level would? Well, because I I wanted to put that out there before I, so it didn't seem like I was insulting you and your love of your character. Do you, what level do you think Firestorm is? Well, put, tell me what level Babs is on, and then I'll give you a starting point. Do you think it'd be a B? I think Babs is a B. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Firestorm's probably uh, a D or E. Oh, really? Probably. Yeah. That's really, well, I mean, that was lower than I thought it was going to be. Well, I mean, he's he, at one point he did have a series that went 100 issues, which is a lot right. to say. But yep. since then, he ain't been able to get anything going. Yeah. And um, now with with him being on the Flash, he's been exposed to millions of people. Mm-hmm. Maybe that raises his profile. But prior to being on the Flash, he was definitely a, a lower tier character. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when I, I ran this site for you know, I started in 2009, and like I, I felt like I was in my own little corner, like no one noticed me, mm-hmm. even though I, I was like the only Firestorm website. On the web, like seriously, mm-hmm. and I was just doing my own little thing. And now there's like every freaking day there's some news about the character. It's like, what is going on? It's crazy. I live in a, a bizarro world. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah. So speaking of Flash, how much yeah. are you loving that TV show? I love it tremendously. Yeah. I, I watch it. It's first of all, it's so much fun. Regardless, oh. even even without the Firestorm stuff, it's just yeah. a fun show. Absolutely. It's a great family show. I um I have uh, I'm married to a, a lovely a lovely woman, and I have two children who has red hair. She does. <laughs> I, I told I told Stella this before we started recording. I was hardwired from the beginning, guys. I mean, I had crushes on Firestar growing up and Jean Grey. You know, Babs as I discovered her character later. Firehawk. I was hardwired to fall in love with redheads from the start. And I, my wife's a gorgeous redhead. I'm a lucky guy. Definitely married up. I feel bad for her. But we we have two children, uh, a 15 year old and a nine year old, and we watch the show as a family. It's the only show we watch live as it's going out as a family. We all sit down together every Tuesday night, watch it. We have a blast. We absolutely love it. Everyone gets something different out of the show. And, uh, and then they all ask me at the end who all the characters are. <laughs> That's great. So they're starting to appreciate your nerdiness. There's, I think they're just surprised that it's on TV and people talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> it's like, that weird character with his head on fire that Daddy always talks about. He's yes, on TV? Yeah. How have you liked his... You know, representation on the show. I was excited in general. It's the first time they've ever attempted a live action Firestorm. And, you know, at first I was like, just wowed it was happening. And then it was like, well, you know, he's kind of a crazy homeless dude, you know, and different things like that. And I hope I'm not spoiling the show for anybody, but by the time Firestorm was fully merged with Ronnie in control and Professor Stein is, you know, the voice in his head, I got chills. I mean, it was other, other than the powers are a little off, but this was. Firestorm, exactly mm-hmm. as he was supposed to be. And seeing Robbie Amell as Firestorm and Victor Garber, who is an <gasps> amazing yes. Professor Stein. Yep. I mean, it's like he like stepped off the page. Mm-hmm. He's so good. It was just uh, when, when he goes, when he's, when he says Ronald, I just get chills. I'm like, oh my gosh! I turn all fanboyish. 
I loved when they used that mechanism and then it made the symbol on the chest and I was like, yes, yes that's what it is. I just, yeah, I thought it was great. I hope they, he comes back. Uh, well, they're doing a, you know, I don't know if you know, they're doing a spinoff show for The Flash. Okay. And they've announced it's a team-up show. It's going to have the Atom in it. Ooh, it's going to have the lady okay. who plays um, Black Canary. Mm-hmm. It's going to have Ca- uh, Captain Cold. I don't know how that's going to work. And it's got Victor Garber. They have not announced Robbie Amell, though, yet. And they said there's a reason for that. Mm. So we don't know what's going to happen. Okay. But at least at least Professor Stein will be around. That's enough for me to get excited about. He's what? my favorite character. Professor Stein's actually my favorite character. Oh, okay. In the Firestorm mythos. Wow. And that cool symbol you mentioned? Yep. Um, one of the fans of Firestorm, we call ourselves Matchheads, by the way. Oh, okay. He, he, um, he designed a shirt, and he's got it up on Redbubble. It's kind of cool. So I was wearing that today, actually. Oh, nice. Do you think Wildcat will be on this team-up show? I've missed him since... Ooh. He's been on Arrow. Do you watch Arrow, too? I, I don't watch Arrow. Was oh. Wildcat on there? Yes. He was training ah. Dinah for a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I was love. shipping. I was shipping some Dinah uh, Wildcat. <laughs> and he helped out uh, with kind of this siege at the end of the last season. But then he hasn't been seen. And Dinah's kind of been messing up a lot. In her. Uh, yeah, She's not the best I, fighter. So she better get she better get fighting. Because I always think of Dinah as one of the, like, the top ten DC fighters. So. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You need Ted Grant there. Take it, you know. Teach yes. have, have him come back. Teach yes. a little more. He he's in post crisis. Having him be like everybody's trainer was the coolest thing. Like in, in him and her in JLA year one, mm-hmm. when he was training Dinah, and um, it was, I at least I think it was that where I remember him training her. I might be mistaken, but that's what I seem to recall was scenes where he was training her. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that stuff. So great. Yeah, I love to see him on Justice League the animated series too. Oh, and they did yes. Justice League Unlimited, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, they, they've got that. I think it's the Cat and the Canary. Yes. Uh, such a great show. Great so one, good. Yeah. But I totally agree with you about the family show because I love Arrow. I think that's probably my favorite, but it's very dark. And then Gotham is just—it's dark, but it's gruesome too. Mm-hmm. And I think Flash is really that one thing that, just like you said, very much all ages. And and I think there are still you know some some heavier themes that you can certainly discuss, but I do love it. It's fun aspect. And, and I think people are just nailing their roles and, and the, it, that last episode blew my mind. <laughs> are, we, are we spoiling things? I mean, it, maybe either. I, well, by the time this comes up, people should have seen it, but just the time traveling. And once, uh, Cisco was revealing the secret, I thought there's no way he can live through this. So, oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Man. Oh. So, yeah, if, if we're pulling back the curtain, we, the new episode was on tonight, yeah. and it was so good. And I, I totally thought, I was like, oh, no, he's going to kill Cisco again. No! So. <laughs> oh, Great show. Man. Absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, one of the, the, the nice things about that show is it just it fully embraces the nerdum. Mm-hmm. You know, they, mm-hmm. they don't care. They're like, throw the, nick, throw the crazy nicknames. Captain Cold, bring it. Rainbow Raider, we'll eat that up. Come on. Oh, and it's just it just totally embraces it. Yeah. Whereas other superhero shows for years have tried to like push it away and hide it. Mm-hmm. Like Birds of Prey, there you go. Birds of Prey show tried yeah. not to embrace the nerdiness too much. Mm. It was funny. My um my stepmother and my sister both came to me independently at different points when that show was on the air. And they were both like, you know what show I'm really enjoying? I'm like, what's that? Like Birds of Prey. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, seriously? I mean, I enjoyed the show. But recognize that it wasn't necessarily a great show. I still loved it, though. I loved every episode because it was just, these are my characters, you yeah. know? But it was just so interesting that they glommed onto it. And again, it's maybe it's a, 
a female role model. I'm not sure what it was, but they loved the show. Yeah. I didn't like Dinah, though. I thought she was somewhat annoying. Well, it, it wasn't Dinah. It was just yeah. a blonde girl it's, is what it was, ultimately. <laughs> That's true. Her mom was the real Dinah Lamb. Right, yeah. Popped in. yeah. Yeah, from Full House. That's right. Oh, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Who knew when we were watching Full House that she actually had a canary cry and could have blasted John Stamos through the door? <laughs> oh, you know, Shag, I feel like you probably were never self-conscious with, you know, being a nerd and, and reading comics, but do you feel more accepted in this age? Like, don't you think the world is more opened up to us who, who enjoyed this because of all of the movies and the TV shows and stuff that has come out? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, Bailey has the best, don't, don't tell him, I hope he doesn't hear any of this, but Bailey has like the best description of it. It's like the guys that used to beat us up in high school for wearing comic book t-shirts now all have like Avengers t-shirts in their closet. <laughs> it's like those jerks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a very much open world. I mean, I, I, I talk with so many quote unquote muggles, you know, mm-hmm. about superhero stuff now, or, or I'm their, I'm their source. Mm-hmm. They'll come to me, Hey, what is, what is this? Age of Ultron thing, you know. It's like, is that going to be good? I'm like, yeah, you should go see it. It's going to be good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 an entirely different world. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning. I used to manage a comic book store um, back from 1991 to 1996, and one of the guys who used to be a customer, he was a kid. We used to shop for me, and he and I are buddies now. He's grown up, and he's married, he's got kids, and everything. We went to lunch today, and we were just talking about that exact topic on how just. He keeps saying he's living in bizarre world. It's you know it's, everything's upside down. It doesn't make any sense. Up is down. You know, Avengers is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I mean, you you came to comics later, right? I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I've I've read them all along. I think you know as as long as I can remember being able to understand them. But I really started buying them to read them in sequence when Infinite Crisis came out and Civil War came out. Okay. So I decided, like, hey, we've got these two big events. I think this will be a good hopping on point, which for Infinite Crisis was probably the best and worst decision I could have made. <laughs> um, because, I mean, honestly, you were just inundated with all of these characters. And, yep. for you know, to a certain extent, I knew, you know, these people, but... It did force me to, you know, do some research and like, okay, who is this? Who's Psycho Pirate? Which was a disturbing scene. But I did, yeah. from all of that, really get into it. So that's really my, my starting point. Girls always have sort of a tough time with it. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm tested. Somebody tested me once at a, uh, a smaller comic convention about uh, Wonder Woman and, like, saying that she was from Marvel. And then I turned to him and I said, but she's from DC. And he had this, like crazy look on his face like he couldn't believe i got it right he actually tested you <laughs> yes i tell yeah Which is i just ridiculous. figured it was gonna be something like he just assumed you were somebody's girlfriend oh, you know, sort of thing. yeah but How but funny <laughs> so i think you know when people like i was recently at my my lcs looking looking at some stuff and there were two seemed like teenage kids and i heard one of them whisper like hey look it's a girl so it's <laughs> still it's Maybe still we haven't come like as far as we thought. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I'm still like the dodo bird that pops. I think, um, 
but but yeah, overall, it, it's just great because you know I teach, and now these students are seeing these movies, and they knew me from before that that I loved superheroes, and now you know they're kind of connecting the two things and they come and talk to me about different things which is really great and you just mentioned something they're like oh you're so cool so there's some instant respect bucks i guess that i get now but yeah i think it's definitely more of a an accepting accepting culture now which is just crazy yeah my my stepson's in high school and he goes to the public library i know i'm sorry he goes to his high school library and they have a whole graphic novel section yeah and anything they don't have he just asks them for and they'll get for him awesome which is just crazy to yeah. me i'm like the, the school approves of you reading comic books how crazy is that well they do uh, use words so right increase your vocab <laughs> well I have, I have a friend of mine who taught a uh, college course on comics you know themes and comic books mm-hmm. so yeah we're accepted we're, people like I us know. finally yeah geeks have inherited the earth oh gosh what a scary thought well i do want to get into some serious topics and well, I guess the only serious topic really is this uh, Batgirl 41 variant cover controversy. <laughs> I know, right? Holy moly, the internet cracked in half. <laughs> so I'm sure people have seen this somewhat disturbing. Uh, but I guess I'm putting my thoughts in there. People have seen this image by Raphael Albuquerque with Joker uh, standing behind Batgirl. Batgirl's got this painted smile on her face she's crying and joker has his arm around her and and he's got a gun so obviously reflective back to the killing joke and so once that was put onto the internets uh yes the internets basically exploded uh, Mm -hmm. faster than uh joker could pull a trigger and uh if the spirit of it why don't you stella i'm sorry and so, well, you know, it's true. It's one of those bang guns he has. You know, what are you thinking? What are you implying, Jack? Um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so people were upset, and I think other people were also thinking, you know, what's the big deal? But in the end, DC started, they pulled. They pulled the cover, so they'll do something else. So, Shag, what were your thoughts on the cover in general? And then what do you think about the controversy? Do you think they should have kept it on the shelf, or do you think they were right in pulling it? I'm going to go total wishy-washy here on you. I apologize. That's fine. Um, When I first saw the cover, I didn't think real deep about it. Mm -hmm. I saw it. I'm like, oh, wow, killing joke. Okay. And I didn't get into the thoughts of how terrified Barbara was there. I just didn't put myself in that position. And maybe some of it's just because I'm an idiot guy and I'm not as in touch with with feminist issues as I I should be, honestly. Um, I mean, certainly it was disturbing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's nothing that makes you feel good about that cover. You don't look at it and go, woo, killing joke, yeah. You look at it and go, ugh, killing joke. And the whole thing about, you know, and what, what also happened was there was a movement, a, a Twitter movement of, was it replace the cover or pull the cover or whatever yeah. it was, hashtag. <sighs> the part I'm really torn on is whether they should have pulled it or not. I understand why they did the cover. It does, it doesn't, quote unquote, celebrate killing joke, but it makes you remember killing joke. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let me get on my. You, you should, you've opened a flood door, floodgate. I'm sorry. I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. That's so fine. The whole idea of putting Joker on the cover of everything to celebrate 75th anniversary bothers me at a at a basic level, because 
and this is going back to Killing Joke commentary, I you know, listen to your all's episodes. One thing that didn't get said about Killing Joke that sort of I want to point out that all ties into this, it all makes sense, I promise, is he the kill the Joker did something absolutely horrible in that. Mm-hmm. Now he'd been killing people for years, which by the way is also absolutely horrible. But no one ever thinks about it because it's fun comic books and you don't see the body and you move on. Yeah. But he did something unforgivable to Barbara, which upset people as it was intended to do. The fact is, the Joker is a homicidal killer. He's disgusting what he does. Everything about it, not just what he did to Barbara, but what he does to anybody. And we shouldn't... The kids who walk around wearing, like, Joker t-shirts, they're, they might as well be wearing, like, a Ted Bundy t-shirt. Mm. It's so horrifying. And uh, to borrow a term from a buddy of mine uh, named Ben Avery, Joker is a murdering murderer who murders. <laughs> That's what he does. And, and the whole idea of celebrating him in general bothers me and gets under my skin. Mm-hmm. So going back to this cover... I don't like him being on the cover. I certainly don't like other covers where his face has been cut off. I don't like bringing my daughter into a comic book shop to even see that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I I would rather they hadn't done this cover, especially, you know, if it had been Barbara as she had looked back in the, when she did, when she was Batgirl just prior to Killing Joke, maybe it would have made a little more sense. Mm -hmm. Anyway, end of the day, should they have pulled the cover? That's the one I'm wishy-washy on because it sort of gets down to censorship. The, the fans sort of censored it, but I don't, I don't believe in any kind of censorship. So I sort of feel like maybe they shouldn't – it's a bad decision to do it, but maybe they still shouldn't have pulled it. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. yeah. You don't have to agree, and that's fine. I mean everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and mm-hmm. yours can be wrong. But, um, <laughs> but whichever way, I don't know. I, like I said, total wishy-washy on yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't like the cover at all. Uh, I stay away for whatever reason from, from comic news. So usually the first time I hear it is either from a friend saying, did you see such and such? Or when I'm recording the Batman universe and Dustin is going through news and I'm like, oh, this is news to me. So, (laughs) so I'm just generally not spoiled by anything. But the first time I saw it, man, it, it really assaults the senses, certainly. And one of the main problems I have is... The fact that it doesn't reflect the story behind it, you know, uh-huh. in tone, because you read, you know, Batgirl 35, this new creative yep. team, and just so much more positive and brighter than we had seen previously with the Gail Simone run. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like this is the cover for what we would have seen with Gail Simone, just this dark and gritty Batgirl who is really struggling with her life and, and is not able to overcome stuff of her past. And what we're doing dealing with now is, yeah, she's, she do, she is struggling right now with this enemy that well as herself as we find out but it is much lighter and and more positive and uplifting and and certainly bringing back the brighter spot of the batman family so to see this cover is just very it's a disconnect with what's behind it so this isn't because i don't know what's going on i know batgirl is going to be part of a joker storyline so this that this issue is not part of the joker storyline uh, 41 is Endgame. It's like the tie-in. It's it's a tie-in. So I don't really know how much it's going... Because the main Batman story is Batman Endgame, and it's this huge Joker almost finale. Right. Um, and so the tie-ins, of course, are reflecting, like, his. Okay. he's popping up in other places. I, I wish that... So I can see... I, I totally wouldn't want him on my cover either. I'm not a, really a huge Joker fan. I don't know if I ever was, but I think Killing Joke really turned me off of him. Mm-hmm. Um, As he should. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was horrible. And yeah. 
people need to, even before Killing Joke, we all should have felt that way about the character. Mm-hmm. So I mean, imagine I a, a love, imagine a loved one, someone you care about being murdered. Yeah. By someone who just didn't care. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to get. Oh on no, soap no, that's that's okay. I'm I'm glad. See, you're bringing a, a a new perspective. That's that's what I like. So I, I can see them putting the Joker on though. If you wrote, I mean, we we had the Flash. The Flash was making. Uh, they did the Lego covers, so they've done you know different variant covers mm-hmm. all along. So I can see him being a part if you know if they really want to do these tie-ins. But what I would have loved to have seen is show Batgirl actually overcoming him, mm-hmm. you know, because she's been struggling for so long. Gail Simone's run; she was still struggling with Killing Joke. She was having some PTSD, and now I feel like we've gotten to a place where she's moving on with her life. And I just feel like could there have been an image? Maybe Batgirl standing over Joker or something like that, and we'll get to those covers that you know of the Suicide Squad that you you sent me. I just feel like there could have been something better. It's just, I mean, looking at her face, her crying, and and the the tear, and and I said this on the Batman Universe. I don't know if the uh, the gun is supposed to be kind of a phallic imagery because there's always this question, and this is a question for you too. What you think? You know, this debate of whether or not she was sexually assaulted in the Killing Joke, which I I don't know. I'd like to say no, but I think it's it's always out there. I don't know what the gun is supposed to represent if it's just that he shot her but uh overall i just i yeah i didn't like the image i'm i fine with them taking it back just because it bothered so many people and you know other things bother you know if if they insulted a whole group of people or a race or you know uh uh sexual orientation or something then you know they get in trouble for that so if this is insulting you know or offensive to people then perhaps they should but i do I do totally get your 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 thoughts on censor, censorship as well, and that you know DC has its right to to put some things out there. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one all the way around. I mean, yeah. I guess I mean they're not. I don't know. I could I could totally be swayed either way on mm-hmm. that argument. So I mean, I I'm right in the middle. So mm-hmm. to, to answer your question about the Killing Joke, yes, I would hope that didn't happen mm-hmm. to Barbara, but unfortunately, I have always assumed it did. Really? Yeah. Yeah, uh, which is absolutely. An unpleasant thought to have. And I don't, by the way, I don't think the gun was intended as a phallic thing okay. here. I think it's pointing at her stomach wound. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I always saw it. Uh-huh. Uh, or not, I mean, since I see, yeah, saw the cover. The either way, it's... Now, there is another Batgirl cover I've seen that is much better, more in line with like what you're saying. And I think maybe it's the actual cover. I don't know. But it's, it shows the, the very fun, you know, version of this costume, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's standing there. She's wiping the Joker smile off her face. And she is in a pose where she is ready to kick someone's butt. Um, I, I don't know what, what issue it's from. But she's standing there and she's wiping the, the red lipstick kind of thing off her cheek. And she's in a like, forgive the language, kick, her, kick your ass stance mm-hmm. is that i don't know if that's the standard cover for 41 or not or or what but it's a great cover yeah so batgirl end game number one so this is the actual the tie-in so the 41 must not necessarily be a tie-in but it's just the like the flash cover like the lego <laughs> cover in the movie just showing you know joker and his presence on the variant but not necessarily inside so the end game is the one that ties into the actual story but so she's wiping the the joker's yes. mouth off and she's ready to kick some serious some, butt yeah yeah you're definitely right that that is you know what you would want to see that she's overcoming him just in that yep. that subtle little motion yeah and you know if they wanted they could have like his reflection in something that was there so that way they could still see the joker 
you know, like he'd show his reflection in her belt buckle or something, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. just to show that she, you know, you see his face or whatever. But yeah. So you mentioned the Suicide Squad cover. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you sent me two, and one of them I had seen before, but one actually I had not ever seen. Issue forty-eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's drawn by Steve Lytle. And it is an incredibly similar cover. Mm-hmm. Cover. Uh, it's Babs. She's in a wheelchair, and she is Joker's towering over her. He's got a gun pointed at her face. Uh, he's got his hand touching her stomach, mm-hmm. exactly where he had shot her. Her clothes, her blouse, and her her jacket are pulled open in sort of a sexual sort of indication. Mm-hmm. You can see underneath her Batgirl costume, and she is you know reeling away from him, hor- horrified. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's so many similarities. The the sexual references are there about the shirt being opened and the and the gun for the and uh, it. And yet, I never, I don't recall. I mean, I was buying comics when this came out. I don't remember there being a peep about this issue. So I don't know whether the comic market has just changed or the internet has just given us a voice or what. Uh, and if I recall, this is a bit of a fake out anyway. I don't think the Joker's actually in it. I think it was someone. <laughs> I think it was someone messing with her mind. One of those covers. Well, well, no, <laughs> those no, misleading ones. Well, I think the Joker. If I could be totally wrong, but as I recall, I think the Joker is not in it. But I think uh, the Thinker, which is that weird digital image behind her, right? Yeah, is making her think he's there. Okay. So she still has to confront it, but mm-hmm. it's not actually him. She's confronting her memories. But um, well, that's sure he pops up in what in a uh, firestorm. His first sort of appearance is in the comic book. What connections? Yep, yeah, it's all beautiful the way yeah. it weaves together. So, what are your feelings about the Suicide Squad cover? Yeah, this one. I don't. It, it is funny because the the other one, uh, very shocking. I think, right when you look at it at first glance, the um, forty one, the Batgirl one. This one is more disturbing once you're starting to really look at it and unfold and unpack the whole thing, because of yeah, his placement of his hand, the fact that you know her her jacket is is open to reveal this Batgirl symbol, but yeah, and the gun and everything. So this definitely has a similar, it evokes similar feelings. So it is shocking that that no one had had these problems. I mean, maybe it was just so close to Killing Joke. That, yeah. you know, people thought, well, that's that. But now that we've gone so far beyond Killing Joke and we're sort of over it and ready to move on, maybe now it's just too much to go back to the past. Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. Now, it's uh, it's also interesting that like, I did a little Googling before we got talking. I don't think anyone's really brought this cover up mm-hmm. in all the discussions. Yeah. Because it just seems like it'd be a natural point of going, well, this, you know, the people that defended the cover, for them to say, like, well, they've done it before, kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe they don't have the, the comic knowledge that you do, Shag. <sighs> Sadly, I know far too much about comics. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's interesting is, so this is 48, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. Now, 49, yeah. the next cover, is totally awesome. Oh, yeah. It's Bab sitting in a chair. Mm-hmm. And behind her is a giant Batman symbol, or probably Batgirl symbol, I should say, really, in this case. And she has got this enormous revolver <laughs> running it just off camera to the, I guess, to the viewer's right. Mm-hmm. And she looks angry as hell, yep. and she says, smile. And she's, you know, it's clearly the smile references to Joker. Mm-hmm. And she is ready to blow somebody away and take revenge for what happened to her. And that's a great, like, wow yes. cover. Yeah, and this one I actually had seen, and I searched for a couple of years for this particular issue, and I finally have it. Uh, and yeah, I loved it. It's sad to see her 
grimace so much, if if we can say that, or just that frown, because I always yep. like to think of Babs as a happier person. But given the circumstances, I mean, she certainly has resolve. And then you have that huge, I almost think of Deadshot with that, uh, with that huge gun there and the scope and everything on it. But yeah, I love that. I mean, that's, you know, the power and that's, you know, what you need to show, even if Joker's not there, just her being able to conquer that fear, Yep, I think is great. That's a Norm Brayfogel piece, by the way. Oh. It was one of my favorite. When I, my, my Batman era, I always say, everyone, you're, you're going to hate this and everyone on your network is going to hate this, but <laughs> I, always say pe- I always say people go through a Batman, everyone goes through a Batman phase. And it may be six months, it may be 20 years. You know, everyone's Batman phase varies. Mine was through most of the 90s. And, but for me, my Batman was the Detective Comics run with Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogel. Mm. Just love that era. So good. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? No. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, do you want to uh, do you want to share um, some some pieces from this particular run? Oh, jeez. Oh, gosh. And, well, and listeners. The, the biggest character that came out of that era was probably the ventriloquist. Oh, uh, okay. So I do sure know who clear, that uh, is. Yep. That he he emerged during that era. Oh gosh! Um, the the earliest appearances of Tim Drake as Robin, like the very first Tim Drake in the new Robin costume, was a Norm Brayfogel piece. Jeez, um, I, I I I'm blanking on a lot of the stories because the problem is a lot of it was so interwoven. Mm-hmm. Like a story would be in Detective with Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogel, and then it would continue in Batman, oh. which was probably I don't know Jim Aparo, whoever was drawing it at the time. So it was a lot of bouncing back and forth. So I can't remember off the top of my head, and, and I've probably read far too many Batman comics anyway. So they all start to blur together after a while. Is this post Nightfall? Uh, pre Nightfall. Pre Nightfall. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then post Lonely Place of Dying. Yes. Okay. Uh, po- probably. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll. I'll Google real quick. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I well, I have a lot of Batgirl and Barbara Gordon knowledge, but my Batman is like slowly coming together since I've been on the Batman universe. So I don't have as much knowledge on that, but I'm sort of filling in the gaps on big stories and such. So that's so you you found my my little squishy spot, my ignorance <laughs> hole, <laughs> and you had to call me out on it, Shag. I was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's okay. So it looks like Norm Brayfogle drew from like 580 of Detective Comics 582 all the way up to 621. So he had a nice long run in there. Some of the stuff in there, like uh, Mud Pack, is in there. Um, oh, jeez. See, a lot of the, again, a lot of this stuff is, it, oh, jeez. It, it, it jumps all over the place. So, but it is right before Nightfall. Okay. Yeah. And I want to say they moved over to the Batman book afterwards. Like they became the premier oh, team, if okay. I remember right. Yeah. But, Great stuff. If you ever get a chance to pick it up, ask uh, ask your Batman Universe people. They'll probably be able to recommend stuff better than me. Very cool. Will do. Or or Bailey, who has that Bailey's Batman podcast. Don't give him an unnecessary oh, plug. I'm sorry, I forgot are you, you kidding were me? Enemies. Yeah, I, really? I apologize. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Another thing you want to talk about is Chuck Dixon's Birds of Prey run, and I think we mentioned it before. And I I absolutely love Chuck Dixon. I met him at San Diego Comic-Con this year, which mm-hmm. was wonderful. I got to shake his hand. I, oh. I, I interviewed him uh, for Batgirl Year One because I think that is one of my, perhaps one of my favorite stories, him and Scott Beatty. I got to interview him. But, yeah, the, the Birds of Prey series, you say you love it. I love it. Awesome. And uh, so one of your questions was, you know, as a, as a female, 
uh, do I feel like his portrayal of Barbara and Dinah makes sense, you know, even though it's coming from a man or does it read like it's coming from a man? And yeah. and I would say, like, I don't read that at all. And, in fact, one of my favorite issues as a Dick and Bab shipper, I guess, is, is Birds of Prey number 8. And mm-hmm. uh, boy, did that take some searching and some money to get that one! But just a <laughs> just a beautiful issue, and I feel like even though a man is writing it, you can't tell. And and I love the way that he he writes um, the characters and and how they come together. So I I can't I can't tell that at all. Very much like Brian Q. Miller writing Stephanie Brown as Batgirl, a guy mm-hmm. writing a girl, you couldn't tell. Just fun and love it. So w- what are your thoughts on that one? Well, I'm thrilled to hear that because I absolutely loved his yeah. run on that book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, as a dude, you know, again, not only so much can I be in touch with my feminist issues mm-hmm. uh, or feminist so- uh, feminine side is what I'm trying to say. And um, so, I, you know, to me, it's like just, it read really honest and true. But I have a friend of mine who read Gail Simone's run, and then she went back and read the Chuck Dixon run, and she said she couldn't connect with it. She just felt like it was a guy trying to write girls. And I was like, really? I was like, oh, man. You know, and I was all sad about it, but like for me, I was totally like the 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 scene that always jumps out at me that I always remember was when Babs and Dinah were finally face to face after that. It was a huge ordeal. Mm-hmm. I want to say that maybe they were on a, a the docks. I don't. Oh remember yeah, exactly yep. What happened. During the hunt for Oracle. Yeah, I I was in tears oh, when yeah. they were finally face to face. It was just like. <laughs> yeah, and she says, "You can call me Babs." Oh, that was, I'm getting oh, I'm getting awful clumped right now. Oh. oh my goodness, that was so powerful. Loved that series, and I and I had a chance to tell him. Uh, I I got to meet him one time as well. I didn't get a chance to interview him. Wow, but I just got to say, you know, I told him how much I loved his because I I used to call it the triumvirate, which was you know Birds of Prey, Nightwing, and, and Robin. Mm-hmm. It was, it was all three of those books were so good and woven so well together. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's a little echoing of Ostringer writing Suicide Squad, Manhunter, and Firestorm all at the same time. There was a lot of crossovers there, too. The only thing I don't like about that scene is that people will use it to say, like, slash um, oh, Babs sh- and Dinah sh- romantically. Sh- and uh, I get, I don't know, I love their relationship. Theirs is one of my favorite, you know, relationships in comics, which I'm sad that it didn't really carry over to New 52, but I just think it's so strong, and to see, yeah, Babs finally come from Oracle Dinah, which it's such an impersonal relationship, to actually knowing each other and then seeing their relationship grow throughout the years and just really becoming sisters. Yeah, it was that was great. I loved that as well, the hunt for Oracle. And Nightwing was in that too, so that's yep. always good. Yeah. It was a great, and I'm perfectly fine with the Nightwing and Oracle shipping. I also believe, I, I, Starfire could leave the planet and never come back. To answer Tom Panarese's conversation with, (laughs) he was was saying, I can't, he actually said, he he mentioned me, because, you know, that's what people do. And he said, I couldn't remember whether it was Shag or Rob Kelly that hates Starfire. Oh, it's totally (laughs) me. I hate that character. I was going to say I want her to die in a fire. That's not very nice. But uh, I want her to go away forever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. Can't stand her. I think she's intentional cheesecake. That Now, admittedly, that looks nice. She's hot. But beyond that, she serves no purpose whatsoever. Oh, thank you. Finally, someone on my side. I, I'm trolled by Tom Penneries. He was attacking my Facebook this week. And <laughs> Josh Bertoni as well. They both are Starfire and uh, Dick Shippers. And Tom brought me on his show one time so he could defend yep. himself, and I had to fight against it. So, yes, I'm good. glad that, was that a, there's... It was a good episode. I listened to that. Oh, <laughs> that's great. So I'm glad that there's someone else out there that does not like Starfire and feels like Dick and Babs 
are the way to go. Do you see them? Do you feel like in your mind, if the the pre-New 52 had continued, because who knows about this New 52, but do you see them as ending up together, you know, when it all comes down to it? Yes and no. Um, if, if they wrote a, you know, um, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow type story, mm-hmm. yes, they'd be together. But since it's serialized fiction, no, they can never be together. You can't give them the happy ending. It's Again, before your time, you prob- um, you've heard of the show Cheers, probably? Yes! Okay. America fell in love watching Sam and Diane fall in love together. Once you put them together, it loses its interest. Mm. Same thing with Moonlighting. Everyone fell, if you've ever heard of that. Everyone loved watching uh, Maddie and... <gasps> I blanked. Maddie, uh, whatever his character... Whatever... Uh, Bruce Willis's character was. I'm drawn up David. David and Maddie falling in love. We wanted to see them fall in love, but we didn't actually want to see them together. So, I, they, at serialized fiction, they would have had to keep them apart. But again, a, a final, the end story, yeah, they're totally together. They're making lots of babies. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Beautiful little children, those two. Oh. <laughs> uh, last discussion you wanted to do was Harley Quinn. So, do you want to set this up a little bit? And actually, it connects to... A show that Donovan, the the guy that we both don't really care for, Donovan and I did uh, last Valentine's Day. Not this Valentine's Day, but the last one, Mad Love, because we actually talk about that, and I mentioned something that we'll talk about. So set up this question. So I, it was a great question that I'd love to discuss with you. Well, we're just thinking about the treatment of Batgirl on the cover mm-hmm. uh, of this recent G- issue with the cover of, with Joker and everything like that, and and how horrific how horrific it is. And then I just kind of came upon the thought of like Harlequin, she gets treated at least on screen by the Joker absolutely horribly, and off screen, I know you think the Joker is a non sexual character. Unfortunately, after Killing Joke, I can only think of him mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. So the things, the unspeakable things, I imagine he does to her, or she willingly does, or whatever. Um, she is horribly victimized by the joker and just laughs and takes it either whether it's you know a a beaten spouse scenario or whatever it is how come dc doesn't address that now maybe they have i don't read the harlequin ongoing series because i i'm bothered by bad bad guys as as the protagonist but it just after 20 years of, of of the treatment of her shouldn't she have some sort of shouldn't dc acknowledge that in some way Yes, but I don't know if they ever will. I feel like they they use her as very much the slapstick character. And so when she gets hit or when she's hitting back, it's all supposed to be taken light and in fun. I I think sometimes it really does seem like it's light and in fun. I feel like it recently happened in her her own series for, I think it was a Valentine's Day episode. It was... Some random issue that I, uh, one-off issue that I read. But in Mad Love, have you watched or read that story? I, I want to say I read it, but probably like when it was published. Okay. And that would have been the last time I read it. I just remember him hitting her, and she falls out of a window. And then falls into the street, and like Batman was the one to basically pick her up, scrape her up off the sidewalk. And that was not slapstick at all to me. That was, I mean, Joker really being violent and and hitting her like that so it's certainly something that yes i think it should be discussed in some way but i think just the nature of this character and the fact that those two are supposed to be jokesters it's always going to be played off as this as if it is not as serious as it really is (sighs) i I go back to you know he is not mr (laughs) jack he he is a murdering murderer who murders yeah copyright (laughs) benny Well, I guess we could call it Fifty Shade of White. 
<laughs> I don't know. That works. I, I don't really know what his bedroom life is like, but uh, um, I, I suppose I don't really want to know. Don't watch Batman uh, XXX. Oh, okay. There's a company out there that makes porn movies, uh, and they use superheroes just to help sell it. And um, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. I think I remember they were doing one in the '66 style. Yeah. It, that's exactly the one that I will pretend I didn't see. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My dedication to comic books goes a little too far sometimes. I guess. Well, Batgirl the Oracle will not be doing a commentary or review on that, I'm afraid. <laughs> so people will have to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, please don't. Please don't. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she was bl- <laughs> Batgirl was blonde in that one, though. But anyway. Well, so she was Alicia Silverstone? I you know what? We're moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so your Suicide Squad coverage. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I will have to say, if you keep going with it, when you get to issue 62, mm-hmm. please skip over the letters page because my second letter ever printed in a comic book is in there. <gasps> is it and really? It, yeah. And reading it nowadays, it's pretty embarrassing. Oh, man. You know, I skipped. I've not been reading letters pages, and some fans have asked me to do it because I used to do really weird voices for each of the people writing in. And I, I have not written the best. So now, see, I could read yours in a in a shag voice. Oh goodness! I no, don't know what it will sound nothing like. Good will come like. Nothing good can come of that. <laughs> I'm sure your PR people will then sue me for. Um, oh yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna cease and desist. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I've already texted my assistant. She's she's working up the papers now. Oh man! Before we get into the review, my last question is back to Firestorm, so they can like transition. For someone who wants to read up on Firestorm, what are sort of the quintessential stories that you would recommend to them? Sure. Uh, right, easily accessible, uh, as long as you enjoy Bronze Age comics. Uh, the, there's a trade paperback out there called Firestorm the Nuclear Man, and it collects his first uh, five issues in the 1970s. They're very Bronze Age, uh, written by Jerry Conway, drawn by Al Milgram. So you got in almost a, not quite Jack Kirby style, but very bombastic kind of style. And they, and I don't mean to keep saying, bringing up the Bronze Age point, but if, if you've never read a DC Bronze Age comic, then you're going to feel like these are different kind of comics than you read nowadays, mm-hmm. that's for sure. So if you, if you understand your limitations and can deal with Bronze Age and enjoy it, read that. Mm-hmm. If not, then go find individual issues of the Fury of Firestorm, which has not been reprinted, which is Jerry Conway and Pat Broderick, which has a much more modern sort of feel. Very action, very fun. We're reviewing it over at uh, the Fire and Water podcast ourselves right now, one a month. They're so much fun, even now. They're super fun comics, lots of high adventure. It has a sort of Spider-Man feel because you have a crazy villain of the month or, or, or two issues cycles. They're very outlandish sort of villains. And it's a real hoot. So Fury of Firestorm... Uh, the series that started in 82 would be a great one. Specifically, my favorite is issues 14 through 18 in annual number one. Tells this great story arc where they bring in Firehawk, which is sort of uh, Firestorm's sort of partner. Sort of like Batman has Batgirl, Firestorm has Firehawk. You know, but they're on more on equal footing, really, than, than junior member. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we introduced a guy named Tokamak. There's this horrible tragedy that befalls Ronnie Raymond and his family life. Great story. And I just absolutely love it. That's great. Yeah, and and for, you know, in reply or in regard to your comment about, you know, 
if Bronze Age isn't your cup of tea, I do recommend that people at least try a couple issues. So Joe, just read one and be like, oh, I can't take this. Because, you know, I started off way back when in the Silver Age with Babs, and those were certainly strange oh, yeah. to get used to. But, I mean, once you're reading them in sequence, it, it comes out okay. And I've been reading Amazing Spider-Man from the beginning, and now I'm on... 160 I think now so oh, you yeah? just sort of get used to it and you know I think it gets better it's it's like it gets better with uh, time or you grow accustomed to the taste so yeah I, as a kid I well I shouldn't say but in the 80s I looked down upon the Bronze Age because that's what you did in the 80s you looked down on the 70s <laughs> comics it's just it's what people did it's kind of like what we do to 90s comics now um, you just people like turn their nose up at them and that's what we did growing up so I didn't like Bronze Age I was programmed not to but now as I get older I love me some Bronze Age comics and, and Marvel Bronze Age comics are so much fun um, in fact I'm like half an inch away from getting a Marvel Unlimited subscription uh, just to start reading some of that older stuff yeah. and uh, love it love it love say it say goodbye to seeing your uh, wife and children <laughs> <laughs> I can sit in the same room with them with my tablet okay. <laughs> don't talk to me I'm reading Marvel team up yeah <laughs> um, okay, so now we're actually going to get into the the real reason why I asked you on, which was to review a comic that Oracle pops up in, and it's Firestorm related. Yep. S- yes. Yeah, take it away. Okay, I was going to steal, steal you the mic from Please you. Please do. So. <laughs> it's Firestorm number 98, cover dated June 1990. And um, this is... It's a bit of an unfortunate issue to cover because mm-hmm. it's smack dab in the middle of two stories. And truthfully, it's just a talky talk issue. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no action whatsoever. It's essentially a postscript to the previous three issues, which focused on the African gods, which was a great storyline, by the way. And it starts the build up to leading to issue 100, which was actually the final issue of the series. And it's also an era of Firestorm that not many people either even are aware that existed or wasn't very popular. It was during the elemental era of Firestorm, which I'll take just a second to talk about, just to give you some context here. Jerry Conway, as I mentioned, created Firestorm. He wrote it for the first 10 years. Then in the mid, uh, and Firestorm was one of the DC's top sellers. So he leaves the book around issue 50. Jer- um, John Ostringer came on board at that point, and he was given six months to turn the book around to get the sales back on track. He changed Firestorm completely in issue 65. And then about another 20 issues later, he changed Firestorm completely again. He was always evolving, is what Ostringer did with the character. And he made him a fire elemental. You know how Swamp Thing is the elemental of Earth? Mm-hmm. Firestorm's the fire elemental at this period in history. It only lasted about 15 issues, but I love this era. It's, uh, he, he's, he's the fusion of Ronnie Raymond and his, this Russian character named Mikhail Arkanen and a clone of Firestorm, because, you know, you've got to have clones, and a fi- the fire elemental of Earth, and they're all merged into one character, and he's very detached, he's very godlike. He considered cleansing the Earth with fire several times because he thinks the human race is, you know, just bad news. So um, it was sort of, there was a mature level of storytelling to the stories. I mean, where everyone else is fighting villains of the, of the month, Ostringer was, you know, regularly tackling socially relevant issues and stuff. So it was a great period of Firestorm. So where we start off with the story, there's basically three plot lines going on here. There's a plot line involving Firestorm. There's a plot line involving the Institute for Metahuman Studies. And there's a plot line involving the sun. The Firestorm story, we start off in an area of Africa called Eden. And in previous issues, again, you don't have any of this reference in here, sorry. Firestorm had terraformed this whole area of Africa. And he was trying to help this area thrive and provide food. Well, it turned things from bad to worse. 
rival African factions broke into a bloody civil war. It was a horrible, uh, very nasty situation, and it just really gut-wrenching as a reader to read. As far as he was trying to do something good, it turned horribly wrong. Then later on, the terraforming even failed as the plant life started to mutate. So Firestorm had raised this entire area and just burned it to the ground. So where we start off, Firestorm reappears there along with one of the black gods, who is Shango. He's the ancient god of thunder and lightning. Just kind of imagine an African Thor is probably the best way to describe him. He's massive. He, he's just kind of looking for... He's very boisterous and, uh, and just very powerful and really has a presence. Also a gentleman named Dr. Nagai. So they discover in this burned-out area, there's a tiny sproutling, a tiny little plant that's coming up among the ruins, and it proves that the land has the power to heal itself. And then Shango and Dr. Nagai depart for other parts of Africa. Uh, Shango's going to begin to experience life among humans again. And Firestorm sits there and watches this sprout for a few days. And there's no rain, and he senses that the sprout's going to die. Sort of screams to the heavens for Shango to make it rain, and it does. Pretty convenient, that being friends with the Thunder God. And then Firestorm feels like he's sort of confronted the mistakes he's made in Africa, and he departs for a return to America. And while he, after he leaves, we get this sort of foreshadowing scene where the, the sprout is maliciously destroyed by Shadowstorm, who I acknowledge is sort of a ridiculous doppelganger character, but I love him. He's an evil doppelganger of Firestorm from the African Shadowlands storyline. The other storyline, the second storyline is about the Institute of uh, Metahuman Studies. You mentioned earlier uh, Dr. Simon Legrieve mm -hmm. from Suicide Squad is in this issue, and it's very much his story. It's him returning to work to this organization, which, by the way, the acronym is IMHS. It's a little easier to say than the other mouthful. He's there sort of trying to retake control of the organization. They had, uh, while he had been shot and was recuperating, while he was down and recovering, they had relocated to a new area in Pittsburgh and had been, now was being funded by the Sutherland Corporation, which, if, you, if you're familiar with that group, they are not familiar, they originally appeared in Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. They're your, your typical 80s evil corporation. You know, they're funding all kinds of questionable things. Ostringer brought them into this series when Firestorm became the Fire Elemental. Sort of kind of a, a nice congruous point between the two books. So in this new offices, they're also sharing space with the Captains of Industry, which is Sunder, Suther, Sunderland, uh, their, their collection of super beings, which includes Mazer uh, and Catalyst, and later on Firehawk and Silver Swan and Major Victory. So LaGreve's struggling to retain control of this organization from Sutherland. And, or I keep saying Sutherland. It's Sunderland. I apologize for that. Anyway, he's faced by some questionable practices going on among the staff. For example, we're reintroduced to a character named Cliff Carmichael, which was, uh, for years, he was Ronnie Raymond's foil. He was the teenage nerd bully that gave, Ron gave Ronnie so many problems. Here, uh, due to some unethical practices by the scientists, he's actually gained the ability to mentally manipulate people. And he's about to become a character that they call the new thinker and will actually end up, uh, end up in the Suicide Squad. So Legrieve realizes that his beloved organization is compromised. He puts together his own Scooby gang of uh, Professor Martin Stein, Lorraine Riley, who's Firehawk, and Oracle, dun -dun -dun, mm -hmm. to help him regain control of the organization. Meanwhile, the, the third thread, which is only sort of hinted at, is the sun. Some research scientists have discovered that the, the sun, literally our you know, star burning the sky, it looks like it's trying to attack the Earth. It's sending solar flares at us. It's doing all kinds of things. And the caption boxes tell us that's Firestorm's fault. The government has actually asked this inter, uh, the IMHS to send Mazer, one of their people, to go assess the situation on the sun. And there's a bit of a power struggle between Dr. Simon Legreve and the Sunderland-placed staff member. But ultimately, Legreve perseveres, and Mazer's going to go to the sun. 
And all of that is just leading up to issue 100, where there's a final confrontation between the elemental firestorm and brimstone from Legends in the heart of the sun. So there you go. That's sort of the summation. Oh, well, you know, you elucidated so much for me. Uh, <laughs> because as uh, I, I, I uh, messaged Michael Bailey at one point on Facebook, and I said I feel so bad because... Shag's going to come on and I'm going to assault him with questions. That's the first time he's ever been on my show. <laughs> and Michael <laughs> said, it's okay. He'll be, he'll, be, he'll be willing to answer them. So you actually answered a lot of my questions in there. Um, Perfect. Confession that I've actually, this is the very first Firestorm comic that I've ever read. <laughs> and, so unfortunate. Yes. And it's probably the worst. You know, a new reader. I'm going to read issue 98 when the series right. ends, issue 100. So, yes, it was it was tough to uh, to read when generally you didn't know what was going on. It, you answered the question because one of my questions was, why does Firestorm look so differently than I'm yep. used to? And uh, so you answered that question, certainly. But I was glad that, yeah, I knew who Simon Legrieve was because I had seen him prior in Suicide Squad, and I felt like that character worked really well over here, and he seemed like the same sort of strong guy that is standing up for his beliefs. And uh, it also seemed like he was a... He's sort of gotten some uh, some cojones, and he's really fighting yeah. back because he did, you know, step. He did stand up to Amanda Waller and step out of that place. But now he's sort of gathering these people, and and he's almost sending a spy in there, and he's trying to take them down. So this was certainly just like Batman Year One is really a Jim Gordon story. Uh, this was certainly, I feel like, even though it's a Firestorm comic, was certainly a Lagrieve story to be reading. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had a chance to interview um, Ostringer, so nice, nice guy, and I asked him about the whole bringing characters from different books between his books, and he said, they, uh, I'm going to read a quote from here, he says, I liked universes that had characters from one book crossing into another, even on an informal basis. I always thought it was a good idea and more fun if the, for the reader. Also in Suicide Squad, we had a tendency to kill baddies now and then. You couldn't always do... I'm sorry, you couldn't always go to another book's writer or editor and say, I'd like to use so-and-so and kill him off. Do you mind? Uh, whereas on Firestorm, I controlled that book, and I wasn't willing to kill off some of my own cast. Why would anyone else let me do that? And, and I should have mentioned the, on the front end of that, basically, in, in the Suicide Squad book, a lot of Firestorm villains die. A whole lot of them. Mm. And a lot of the characters, you may not even realize who you were talking about. With I don't know how much of the research you had necessarily done with each Suicide Squad issue, but a lot of mind-boggler, that's, you know, yeah. that's Firestorm villains and... and uh, Several other weasel shows up over there, and a lot of firestorm bad guys get killed over there. So having the villains go that way and the grief come this way it just made for a really nice, you know, sort of. I call it the Ostringer verse, but that's just me. Did anyone get pied in the face in firestorm books? No, no pies in the face. <laughs> oddly enough, I, would have enjoyed that. Oh though. man, I just found out. I think it was two episodes ago who yeah. it was. Yep. So um, that was exciting, but since the first, I think it was one of the first issues I read, someone got pied in the face, and I thought, what is going on? Yeah. So being a new <laughs> reader in this era is very difficult. <laughs> is, uh, the post-crisis era is sometimes hard to jump into if they're deep in continuity, but man, I, I love the post-crisis era of DC. Like, especially from you know, 86 to, say, 95, oh, just there's so many great books out there. So Cliff Carmichael, he seems like he's bad news. He is absolutely bad news. He was always a jerk. And, and, and sadly, at this point, he has chopped off his mutton chops, which was like his signature <laughs> facial oh, hair no. thing. 
Oh, total, total loser. <laughs> anyway, he was a total jerk to Ronnie all these years. He was just he did terrible things. And at one point, it, it culminated in him cutting Ronnie Raymond's football helmet strap, basically trying to break Ronnie's oh neck in a gosh. football game. And unfortunately, what ended up happening was Ronnie and his this other player switched helmets, and this other guy got his neck broken. It was terrible. And Carmichael got arrested and went to jail and all these things. And now here is where he's supposedly being rehabilitated, mm-hmm. And they give him these powers of the thinker, and he ends up being on the Suicide Squad, but as being a very antagonistic character in the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that one panel, I mean, he just, like, takes off the helmet, and he's, like, looking at an upward angle. I thought, oh, boy, this is yeah. not looking good. Well, and then he does the Jedi mind trick. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Who is this uh, Catalyst, the uh, human... Pharmacopia. Have we? Have you seen him before? I thought, wow, what a great guy that basically can turn to any drug. Right, absolutely. He'd make a heck of a lot of money on the street. I think. Um, I think this may have been his first appearance. Okay. He didn't make a ton. The whole captains of industry didn't really take mm-hmm. off. It was a neat idea to have corporate superheroes, you know. But it was probably done better with Booster Gold years later. But um, you know, it's an interesting idea, and and that I always thought that was an interesting power. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, well, I could see them doing a lot with that. But uh, he didn't really go too far. Interesting costume design, though. Indeed, yeah. Kind of looks like a bullet. <laughs> his like little yeah, helmet there yeah. and everything. Like the bullet man. Yep. Well, Oracle does appear, so we should take a moment to talk about this. Absolutely. Uh, so the first thing is just the fact that she was recommended. So, you know, you you've, you talked about the fact that she likes a lot of people, and a lot of people are respecting her. And she's mm-hmm. been, you know, from my history going, you know, in my podcast, slowly but surely, you know, making her way. She found her way to Manhunter, of course, the Suicide Squad. So now she's she's really starting to spread herself out slowly but surely throughout the DC universe. So this is just yet another step to feel connected to somebody that's outside of her little Suicide Squad range. But we also see that she's in a bit of turmoil, and in a previous Suicide Squad issue, Flo, which was very much a friend of hers that she was connecting through the internet, was killed. And this impacted her anyways because it was the first time we ever saw that, yes, it's actually Barbara Gordon because she's crying by the computer when she finds out. But now we find out that she may stop being an information broker because, you know, how much Flo meant to her. And uh, she also says that a lot of other stuff is taking up her time. And I do wonder what that is, that, that clue. What else is she doing that's taking up her time? Well, something strange happened here. I, I looked at it. There were, there were several – because I, I listened to your recent episode where you talked about Flo dying. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge gap between that appearance and this yes, appearance. Yeah. It's like several months. And now part of that is just tied to what's going on in Suicide Squad. They were going through um, a restructure. I can't remember. It was like the Phoenix – Gambit or the Phoenix something or other was the name of the the storyline. It was a several issue storyline where Amanda Waller was jailed and all these things. So um, it may have been maybe that's what they're sort of inferring at is that she was tied up with that. I I don't know. I don't know of anything that she was busy doing. I do know that here. Actually, I have a question for you here. We see the computer with the Mm -hmm. Batgirl doll. Very right. But then on the bottom of that same page, I think that's supposed to be bad. Except no glasses. no glasses, yeah. and the colorist colored her identical to Firehawk on the page before. Oh, that's awkward. Same color shirt, you know, same color hair. I mean, they both have the same color yeah. hair anyway, but the hair is slightly different because, you know, Firehawk, mm-hmm. Lorraine, her hair's parted in the middle, and here, uh, this young lady's got bangs. So I think the colorist didn't realize they were different characters. 
perhaps not. And yeah, I think the artist forgot the glasses. Yeah, I think so too. Well, and, and I don't know, given that she, yeah, how many times had Babs appeared, you know, on screen since Killing Joke? Mm-hmm. Really, to, to even know that the glasses are part of her motif yeah. now. Did she, you know, did did she wear glasses before as Bar- as Barbara Gordon? She, I can't remember. I mean, when she was first introduced, she had the uh, the Leia Skywalker buns and the glasses. Yeah. yeah. So she, okay. I mean, that's how she started out. But uh, yeah. But when she was a congressman, she wasn't no, wearing glasses. Not really, no. But this yeah, is really, so I mean, yeah, he made the Oracle thing. I, I don't know that her iconography mm-hmm. had had been established yeah. yet. So maybe, yeah. So. Uh, I'll mm. probably I'll get to those Suicide Squads because I sort of have to fill in. I've tr- I've been trying to read them in sequence, even though she doesn't yeah. pop up. Because when I first started to just skip around, it was just too hard to cover stories. So now I try to have a sequence so I kind of can understand what's going on and and be a, a better reviewer. But uh, what, what do you think about her appearance? I mean, it is so small, but, you know, just seeing it, what are your thoughts on her popping up? And Well, at this point, you know, I, I had mentioned to you, my buddy had clued me in that Barbara Gordon was Oracle now. And I, I was thrilled to see her in here because I loved I love when they connect mm-hmm. books, especially in small ways. You know, I don't need a giant crossover every week. You know, I, I, I'm so over those. But I love seeing characters cross over from one book to another. So seeing Barbara here... Especially as this is like as I said, this was the era where I was just starting to get to know her. Really, you know, it was I, I thought it was great. I was thrilled to see her here. It's an incredibly minor oh, of bit, course, yeah. and she and she gets in like a one <laughs> word balloon mention in issue one hundred. Mm-hmm. So basically, she did the job she was asked to do in this issue is what what equivalent there. But yeah, I, I'm very thrilled with it. I, I there's there's not enough there's not enough to really formulate a huge right. opinion on it but i was happy yeah to see yeah the only thing you can really say is that she's connected with somebody else so her influence is growing um yep. and we're seeing this is the second time we've seen her as oracle and her face on yep. panel so that's really those are the the two big things so thoughts of this issue i mean as a firestorm fan how did you said it was basically a word issue yeah <laughs> talky yeah. talk yeah, it's it, it, it's a nice segue issue because next issue there's some creepy stuff going on with Parasite, and then it leads to issue 100. And prior to this was the African Gods, which was a great storyline. So it's unfortunately it's just connective tissue is what this issue is, okay. which is unfortunate. Yeah. But as as you read it as a whole, mm-hmm. it's fine. It moves the story forward. You close out one story, you open the door in the next, and it works quite well. But uh, as a standalone for someone to read for the Ooh, first time, which I'm terribly that's sorry, okay. <laughs> I did it to myself. <laughs> So and, and at this point, Ostringer knew he the series was going to end. It didn't sneak mm-hmm. up on him. He made a conscious decision to end the series at 100. Okay. So this was the, you know, again, setting things up mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. The only thing that uh, disappointed me was just that, you know, I would have liked my first Firestorm issue to really showcase the character. So yeah. that's my, but again, I did it to myself. She appeared in issue 98. I read issue 98. You get what you're reading when you're issue 98 out of 100. So what yep. can I do? But normally I grade things out of 10, but I just don't think it would be fair for me to give any sort of grade on this. I don't think I'm qualified. And, uh, I mean. No cr- no crosshairs for you. <laughs> yeah. Cross. I don't know what this would be, though. Nuclear men? Atoms? At- atomic symbols. Okay, yeah. yeah. Out of 10. <laughs> oh, man. It was good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I Definitely. Yeah. Go go dig up Fury of Firestorm from the the series from eighty two, okay. with art by Pat Broderick and written by Jerry Conway, and uh, super fun stuff. If you want to find a Firestorm issue to have yeah, fun, yeah, that'd with. be good. Because last time Michael Bailey was on, 
uh, we did a commentary for Halloween, and I got some recommendations. I read Dead Man that he, he recommended, and then I haven't started Commandi, but uh, I do want to read some Commandi. So, why, on, why on earth did he recommend Mandy and, and Dead Man to you? <laughs> you want to punish you or something? Or? <laughs> it was connected to the issue. Or, or okay. to, the, um, to the We were commenting on the ho- two Halloween episodes from Batman the Brave and the Bold. Oh, and so okay. I think Dead Man was a big issue, or was the main story, and then Commandi or Commandi, however you pronounce it, uh, was one yeah. of the little segments at the beginning. And I thought this guy seems interesting. Maybe I'll read up on him. So, so did he? Did he direct you to like the original Jack Kirby yes, Commandi stuff? Did. Yeah. Okay, and Dead Man, he directed you to the Neil Adams yes. stuff. So I read those, okay. but I haven't started the Commandi. Well done, Mr. Bailey. I suppose. Yep. 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 Ugh. Just feels icky even saying oh, that. Oh man! Oh well. Sadly, this is this is where you leave. Shag. It has been so wonderful to have you on here. I have had a great time, Stella. This has been a real blast. I really appreciate it. I uh, I I knew when I got invited to your show, and I knew we were going to be talking about the background cover. I thought, oh man. This is this could go any which way. <laughs> I, I have a bit of a reputation uh, on the interwebs. I mean, my name is the Irredeemable mm-hmm. Shag. It's right yeah. there. I, I don't hide it. No so, false uh, advertising. I'm glad, I'm glad this went a good yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, I I only hope or wish that um, you can come on again. Like we can somehow find a story or something that maybe like a Suicide Squad story. Maybe forty and forty nine. When I get to that, hey. that's yeah, so that we can sure. you can be on longer and we can talk some more Babs because I don't think Firestorm pops up again. I'm afraid. I I don't know that their paths ever cross again, except for Secret Origins number yeah, ten. There's I was looking at my next list and I've got a random Starman issue number twenty seven, and I put on uh, I put on Facebook. I said, "Hello, anyone? Do you have Starman twenty seven? Is Babs actually in it, or is it just you know a random mentioning?" But no one answered me, so I guess I'll have to read it and find out. I will have to. Now, which Starman are we talking about? Are we talking about James Robinson's or are we talking about the Tom Lyle? I think it's volume um, one. It's volume one, 27. I'm making a note of this, and Bailey's going to try and beat me <laughs> to this. Uh, he, he's both, behind both, in uh, his podcasting, so I think you'll know. There you go. We both love that series. Oh, okay. That, that series actually brought me back to, to fun comics. I, I had gone dark. I was reading Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol uh-huh. and Neil Gaiman's Sandman and uh, Animal Man and, and all, every Vertigo title and just all these dark books. And I, and I came across Starman, I think it was 26 maybe oh. or 28, and it was so fun. And I was like, wow, I like fun superhero comics. And I went back and bought the whole Starman series, and it kind of brought me back to superhero fun comics. Well, I, I guess it's good that you randomly started with 26, and you were able to follow along. So hopefully if I only do 27, I'll, it'll be better than doing Firestorm 98. There we go. I hope so. Anything should Yeah, be. <laughs> and then there's some Hawk and Dove coming up for three issues, and Hacker okay. Files, like all these things. The wonderful thing about this podcast is that I'm learning so much and reading comics that I never would have read. I don't know that anyone ever read Hacker Files. So that's <laughs> I know. I'll be the first one. I'll be that one person. Uh, like, Bailey and I are the two people that read all of uh, Countdown. I <gasps> own them all. Oh, did you read them all? <laughs> I read them all. You um, can join our I, club. I hated every friggin' minute of it that thing. There were some bright spots, like little moments, sure. but um, yeah. 52 was much better. 
52 is yeah. great. 52 is wonderful. That, yeah. Trin- Trinity, sadly, I bought every issue of and never finished mm. reading. Yeah. But uh, I did finish with Countdown, so yeah. it's... Yeah. I... There's a lot. Of, I, there's a lot. I wanted to like it. Yeah, I bought Fifty Two under the presumption that you're really going to bridge this gap of one year later and answer all the questions I have. But really, they only <laughs> answered some questions, so I still feel betrayed and lied to by DC. I liked Fifty Two nonetheless. Then I bought Countdown because I thought, well, I really liked Fifty Two. And then yeah. after that, I was just weekly, weekly series fatigued, and I'm like, I can't do Trinity War or Trinity. I can't do it. So I've I never touched Trinity. It. You're probably better okay. Off. I saved my two ninety nine. I mean, I love Kurt, I love Kurt Bussick, yeah. and I love um, was it who was it? I was a Bagley. I think yeah, it I was. Think Bagley, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the team that put it right. together. It just it just stopped being interesting after yeah. a while. So. Well, where where can we find you, Shag? What other places can people who have obviously fallen in love with you, listening to you on this show, go to well, to listen to you more? Yeah. yeah? It happens. Uh, Firestormfan.com is probably the best place to mm-hmm. find me. It's the, the hub for all things nuclear, which is a word I'm incapable of saying, ironically. Uh, you can also find me on, on the social medias. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Google+, and Tumblr, all under Firestorm Fan. I'm also on, because um, <laughs> Firestorm's not obscure enough, I'm also on a podcast dedicated to the Ultraverse, which was a little company in the 90s that, uh, that went strong and then went away real quick. Where else? Um... I'm I'm part of the Legion of Super Bloggers, which is dedicated to the Legion of Superheroes, and I'm forgetting something, and I'm gonna be terribly embarrassed, and someone's gonna go, "Dude, you didn't even mention our thing." Uh-oh. But whatever, um, that's probably enough places to find me. He- oh, uh, oh, and I'm the, the new semi-regular co-host on from Batgirl Oracle. Semi-regular, that. yes. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and well, of course, you're with Bailey sometimes, right? We don't talk about. Oh that. dear, he's probably unfriending you right now on Facebook. Nah, you, you think that hasn't happened already? <laughs> Come- you go through your moments. You're like Ross and Rachel. We <laughs> <laughs> were on a break. Yeah. So you're on a break right now on another show, and then he'll he'll take you back. Um, you know, I actually recently followed you on Twitter. Oh, well, I'm terribly sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> you're inundated with the firestorm crap now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, if it makes I, – I actually don't go on Twitter very much except to promote my own things, so you probably won't do that. But I thought, hey – I, I found him. I should do this. So, yeah. You know what I just heard? Hey, I followed you on Twitter, but I will never look there. <laughs> That's what I just heard. Thanks for that. I'm I appreciate sorry. that. I just don't have a lot of time to be on social media. I totally understand. It can consume your life. Yeah, that's about right. Yes. So, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate the invite. I really do. And if you ever find yourself with an issue of Hacker Files or something that you just don't want to fly solo, it's about Babs, give me a shout. And maybe, I I mean, well, Starman's next, that's next episode for me. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, if you're willing. If I can make a, the only challenge I ever run up against is is real life with Uh the family and everything else. I get a little swamped, but if we can make it work, I'd love to be here. It's Starman 27 and Batman 451. All right. Take that, Donovan. You hear that? <laughs> and then I assume you wouldn't want to do the new ones, right? No. Okay. So that, yeah. I, I have, uh, I use a tagline. I, I, I kind of trumpet called Find Your Joy, mm-hmm. which is find something you love. If you, if you like to read comics, quit kvetching about them. Find the comics you like to mm-hmm. read and just read those. I, I feel you there, yeah. And so I like to read older comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, which is basically, I mean, that right there is my life with Spider-Man. 
I was I yep. was just done after it must have been Spider Island I think Shed was basically I mean everything was going downhill for Shed and then Spider Island I'm just like I'm not loving it and I love Spider Man and this is tearing down my love for him so I just was like done and now reading through from one all you know up to now where I am 160 I'm I'm loving reading the classic Spider Man stories. Awesome. So it's def- that yeah. is absolutely. Cool. I mean, it's the reason why I love Spider-Man. So why be put through pain and terrible stories when I can read the classics and why I loved him in the first place? So, I Perfect. definitely feel that. Okay, so maybe next time then you may be on. I'd be happy to okay. do it. Watch the proverbial sunrise coming up over the Pacific end You might think I'm losing my mind, but I will shy away from the specifics Cause I don't want you to know where I am Cause then you'll see my heart in the saddest state it's ever been This is no place to try and live my life Should have said that it's the very moment that I wish that I could take back. Sorry, man. It's so hard for me.
Well, welcome back from that wonderful break. A great thanks to Shag for coming on and just sharing his knowledge with Firestorm. And it's just always great to have someone new on the show and, you know, utilizing the the podcasting network and and bringing someone on that has certainly a knowledge base that is different and distinct from mine. That was just such a great honor. Shag has, he's not going to be with me on these more recent reviews, the modern reviews. However, you will hear his wonderful voice once again for the shipper spotlight. So you can wait for that. Hey, let me tell you that my mind has been just in a whirl from these uh, Batgirl issues here. And I say issues because, of course, we have Secret Origins, which ties into Batgirl 39. And I've really, I don't know, I, I read it and I had to sit back and really think about it again. And then I skimmed through it again when I was writing the recap and, and my thoughts and everything. And then I reread it right before I, or I guess a couple hours before I decided to sit down and record this segment. And I've just been thinking, and, and of course I'll get into it, but I just have to say that I think that's one of the wonderful things about this particular run of Batgirl is that each of the issues I think really make you ponder what is going on and I feel like more so recently than I have in the past I've really you know had debates with myself and and on the show at least you know and brought forth things that you know I disagreed with and really thinking hey is this in character with Batgirl you know what is she doing does this seem right and bringing it forth to uh, real life as well and and I think that uh, Batgirl 39 and and the Secret Origins is is no exception to contemplative issue I think that's the word I used in the previous episode so let's get right into it and and just some things that will blow your mind are about to spill out onto your uh, iPod or from your iPod I suppose I should say so first up we have Backrow 39 Backrow versus Burnside writers Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher artist Babs Tarr breakdowns Cameron Stewart and colorist Maris Wicks the neighborhood of Burnside has turned on Batgirl since her antics caused a significant amount of property damage and destroyed, of course, a local landmark, but something else may be in the mix. After an uncomfortable run-in with several locals, she asks her friend Kadir to meet her in secret to help restock her equipment. He admits that he wasn't sure he wanted to meet her with the whole city calling for her head. After this, he would rather she kept him out of her business. But before letting him go, Batgirl wonders if he is sure that all of the photos posted by Dagger Type were actually by dagger type that there wasn't another fake back girl out there what worries her most is that maybe there was no other back girl maybe she was the one in some of those pictures after all without knowing it on her way home barbara receives a call from her would-be boyfriend liam but sends it to voicemail she enters her apartment to find her roommate frankie pulling an all-nighter working with some friends at resolving software issues with hook One of them, Phil, does forensic data recovery for the GCPD and has been working on the technology recovered from Raya Black. He has also heard that she's dating Liam, admitting that anyone on the force dating Jim Gordon's daughter is a big deal. Barbara explains that it's complicated, isn't that one of those Facebook check marks you can put for relationship status, and asks to see Frankie alone. 
Barbara asks whether Frankie has noticed her behaving strangely at all, but Frankie feels that Babs is, well, always acting strange. They are interrupted before Barbara can get anything more specific out of her by Phil, who warns that he has spotted something worrisome. The Hook app has been hacked to display an ad offering a $20 million bounty on Batgirl's head. On top of this bad news, Barbara receives an email just then warning her that her thesis supervisor wants to meet with her tomorrow and she can make no more excuses about having lost her algorithm. At that meeting, Professor Krupke expresses disappointment that Barbara appears to have changed her thesis from something compelling to something that is merely adequate. He reminds her that the original thesis was the only reason she got into the program in the first place and warns her against selling the original to a web developer when her academic career is at stake. Babs promises that she would do no such thing and insists that she will find a way to straighten things out. After the meeting, Nadima is sympathetic but can't do much to help besides share her chips and listen to Barbara vent about her personal life. She mentions her falling out with Dinah Drake, who is now the lead singer in a band, called Ashes on Sunday, and Jeremy is a fan and notes that the band will be playing the Hook launch party. Nadima suggests that Barbara go and try to catch their rehearsal. She manages to get a VIP pass thanks to her acquaintance Seven and interrupts the rehearsal to beg Dinah to talk. Reluctantly, Dinah agrees to listen for a minute. Babs offers a heartfelt apology, admitting that her friend was right about her bad attitude and she needs her friend's support right now because what's going on is making her scared. Before Donna can respond, she's called away by her bandmates and she reluctantly tells Barbara that, well, she has to go and she may not be ready yet to forgive her. She promises that whatever is bothering Barbara, she'll beat it somehow. That night, Barbara tearfully deletes Dinah from her phone contacts. Frustrating her further, she receives another call from Liam and, again, ignores it. Laughter in the alley below draws her attention to a pair of vandals who are spray-painting anti-backgirl imagery on the walls. Sadly, she takes off her cowl and looks at it, wondering whether it's even worth being backgirl anymore, until she hears a cry for help and realizes she's needed. Hurrying down to ground level, she spots a woman being mugged at knife point by a gang and warns them away from her. Unfortunately, that woman grabs her in a headlock and reveals that it was, well, just a boy to capture her for the bounty on her head. To her surprise, she's rescued by Dinah. And after getting free, Dinah admits that she may be ready to work as a team again, but they would talk about it seriously tomorrow. The next morning, Babs and Dinah meet early on the rooftop to spar. Dinah warns that Babs' concern for Batgirl's image has caused her technique to suffer. Batgirl shouldn't care about celebrity, and she shouldn't be glued to her phone. Defending herself, Barbara explains that the Hook app sent the whole city after her. Whoever is controlling it knows Barbara intimately, and she's worried she might be doing it to herself. She first had doubts when she picked up Liam's phone and heard her own voice on the other end. What if she's been hallucinating? What if she really had told Liam all of the things about her family that she couldn't remember telling him? It's like that movie, Almost Alice. Or still Alice. Dinah responds that there's no way Barbara would send villains after herself. She'd remember that, anyone would. Her mind, after all, is like a computer. And this gives Barbara a realization. What if Hook is using the stolen algorithm she'd based on her own mind, her thesis, against her? What if that was what Frankie and her coders had been fighting all this time? Worriedly, the pair hurried down to the apartment to find Seven, warning that Frankie's not there. She had invited him, but she hadn't been there when he arrived, and he'd let himself in. They discover that Frankie uncharacteristically left her phone in her room and her crutches. Checking the phone, they find a message from someone who knows Barbara's name, warning her to rescue Frankie. 
That night, after suiting up, the pair meet outside the Hook building, and Batgirl scans it for heat signatures. She spots two people on the upper floors where the servers must be capped, and notes that Dinah and Barbara won't be able to get up there without being completely exposed. So to spare Dinah the trouble, she warns her to stay behind and endeavors to go it alone. Using her motorcycle, Barbara engages its boosters and rides up on the side of the building before launching it to the air and rappelling up to the roof, evading being caught in the elevators and exposing her presence. And... The motorcycle falls to the ground, but luckily a parachute comes out, so the motorcycle is not harmed. After sneaking into the server room, she discovers that Frankie is alright, but by accessing the computers infected with Barbara's algorithm, she has learned that she and Batgirl are one and the same. Barbara admits it, but a voice from the computer announces that Barbara is not Batgirl. The real Batgirl is waiting to take back what's hers to be continued. Oh, man, lots of stuff going on here. So <laughs> if I start from the beginning and move forward, I think that's the best way to uh, attack this particular book here. Well, attack in a nice term, of course. So, you know, once you open this book, it seems like you walked into a scene from Beauty and the Beast or Frankenstein. You know, all of these people. There are no torches, at least no pitchforks, but I mean that woman she's she's basically i mean it, it seems like she's just come out of uh baking out of the kitchen she's got one of those rollers that you use to roll dough so uh that's uh, that's pretty interesting to be sure and, and i feel like there there seems to be more of a logical connection if these people are going after the call that's made from hook rather than these people being super upset because, you know, Batgirl had done some damage, obviously, with that inappropriate race that, well, it wasn't really a race, but, you know, trying to catch the Justin Bieber lookalike from the previous issue and destroying that diner. I mean, what else has she done that all these people would go after her and risk their own lives to go after her and potentially try to kill her? So I, I feel like there's more of a connection with the hook and perhaps some other call has been put out there at least I want that to be the connection because I think that makes more sense than just a bunch of random people normal with normal lives coming after Batgirl because let's think about all the other heroes out there that have destroyed buildings. I mean, yeah, she destroyed that diner, but like towers and things like that. I think of Superman and, and the, the super fights he's been in. But, you know, if... In fact, they are going after the hook money, and if we fast forward to, you know, when we actually see that that advertisement come up, you really have to wonder how many people would turn evil, even if it is $20 million, and I think certainly that that question connects to what's going on in Detective Comics right now with anarchy and anarchy erasing everyone's, you know, to a certain extent, their identity, their debts and everything, and giving them a chance to start over. And we see in the pages that a vast majority of people decide to turn to crime because, you know, they're free and, and they decide this is this is what I want to do, I guess. You know, my three strikes are out, so I'm going in. But, you, you know, why would that turn people crazy i mean 20 million is a lot but are you willing to turn evil i mean is your soul prepared for that are you willing to kill somebody so that's kind of interesting i also wonder if any of these people are actually smart enough to well dumb enough to jump the gap obviously not make it but utilize that dangling to actually get in close to back roll and that section actually reminded me of the flood tie-in not the flood tie-in the batman zero year tie-in with 
the rain that's why I called it the flood and I remember there was a, a thing and do you remember Josh made that first give me the lap <laughs> quote because it must have been I think it was back girl it's hard to remember back that way but I think she was dangling she had something she had money or whatever and no I don't think it was money it's hard to remember back to that she had something of use I think it was something to help survive and that one guy was uh said hey give me this and then I'll pull you up and that was not what happened anyways I do like Kadir wanting to put a stop to supply and back girl. I think it is entirely in his rights as she was inappropriate coming to his residence in the previous issue and, and she was taking unnecessary risks and I, I think he sees that she's being a little reckless. So here's the the first big leap I think that we have. All of a sudden we go from, you know, Batgirl sort of living her life, trying to take down these people. And now she's starting to sort of investigate herself. And and I do think it's a big leap for Batgirl to, to say that she could actually be in those pictures that Dagger Type used. And obviously I wonder if it all stems just from this phone call. I think that was certainly the catalyst for her thinking about it. But even so, I don't know if, you know, what was going on there would make me leap to, oh my gosh, was I in those photos? And I don't know if it really jives with, you know, Dagger Type. Because why... You know, why wouldn't Dagger Type at the end have just explained that he actually didn't model for all those photos and sort of dangle that in front of Batgirl? That would have been something that I think a villain could have used. Why wouldn't Dagger Type take Batgirl out if she was modeling then? Because she would have been very vulnerable. And then, you know, the person supplying him could have said, take her out when she's modeling. So I don't know. I, I think Batgirl couldn't have been in those pictures really. But Dagger was probably fed the info about what poses to make. So I still think that it's him. But I guess maybe Batgirl is getting like Richard Nixon now and she's super paranoid. Why does Babs keep screening Liam's calls? Obviously, there's an issue. And I said that there was going to be an issue very much like a Spider-Man Black Cat, uh, Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle situation because they're on opposite ends and he obviously doesn't know her other life but you know he's very critical of what Batgirl is doing and that's going to be a problem is it also because a lot of her information is being leaked in, th in that case I wonder if you know the other random Babs that's picking up is is she still having connections you know with him but you know it's not a good sign in any case but I, I wonder how long this is going to go on and, and if this relationship is going to end at the end of this arc and everything is revealed or if she if something is going to be solved but uh, it is very interesting that uh, she's basically ignoring his calls the Phil that we meet in her living room that's working with Frankie certainly reminds me of Abby Sciuto from NCIS because he certainly doesn't seem like the type to work as a forensic uh, scientist, computer scientist, you know, with the GCPD. But luckily he's, he's certainly given a chance apart from his appearance. We also find out Raya Black himself was data wiped and that uh, Liam apparently thinks he and Babs are dating. So lots of information dumped there. Rye Black doesn't really seem like he could be a risk. So I guess that's why in the previous issue I was complaining why is he dumped back out on the street. I guess he's, well, what else can you do? Are Babs and Liam really dating? Uh, I think this goes, you know, if you ever listen to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, I don't know what episode it was, but I do remember Donovan and Josh got into a debate about what is dating. And I certainly agree with that. If you go out on a couple dates, does that count as dating? I don't know. I, I, I see dating as 
distinct from if I'm going out on a couple of dates with somebody but I'm not in a relationship with them I don't consider that dating I think dating is more you know I'm I'm seriously committed to you to a certain extent like I'm only going out with you and so we are dating but couple dates I don't think a relationship makes but that's just me Babs continues her inquiries as to her behavior, but now it's with Frankie, and I'm glad she brings up Dinah, and I wonder if that was a computer glitch as well, because that other issue was just wacky outside that club. Did not go over well with me. As surmised in my previous Batgirl to Oracle episode, uh, you know, the hook problems and the Batgirl big bad are all connected. Uh, but what a bad moment that Frankie's freaking out and then Babs reveals her own problems at the same time. Kind of have to be sympathetic here and maybe keep that to yourself. We finally meet the mysterious advisor, and uh, he is certainly not happy. But he also makes me nervous, and I wonder why he is Babs' advisor when his focus seems to be on Middle Eastern and Asian artifacts and culture, given his office. And I sort of feel like pattern mapping algorithms seems out of his wheelhouse. And how did he hear that rumor that Babs was selling her algorithm? So lots of questions there. I guess that's coming from the big bad. I like that Nadima is the ear for Babs, but after a while, I think that uh, it's going to get pretty annoying. It would for me anyways. The way Jeremy talks about Dinah is a little heavy, and I feel like he's saying it, you know, the sweet singer is pretty attractive, to make Babs jealous. And then, of course, Babs goes back after that. And then to Dinah, I, I love that she's a focus here because she's already been mentioned by Frankie. She's been mentioned by Nadima. And then Babs goes to her. And, and I think that's great that, that Dinah is present in this particular issue because their relationship is really in the mud right now. I liked the honest conversation between Dinah and Babs. I think probably the first one that we've really had. But I was really shocked that Dinah walked away from it yet again. And it sort of made me upset. But at least she didn't do it spitefully. I think there was a different tone with how she walked away. But it was still a problem for me. We get to see Seven again. Which is good because we haven't seen him in a while since the first issue of this arc. I believe 35. And it's nice to bring back characters rather than create new ones no matter how minor they are. Big moments where Babs deletes Dinah's contact info, then removes her masks, but then thinks better of it. And unfortunately, I was having some Crisis on Infinite Earths flashbacks where I felt like, oh gosh, is Babs going to give up once again? Please don't do this to me, new writers of Batgirl. So the street thugs, they're going after the big hook money, obviously, and Batgirl's surrounded, which, yeah, I have some problems with it because, well, they are street thugs. But it was nice to have it happen just because Dinah appears and, and, you know, hearing the words, the birds are back. Do wonder how Dinah found her, but hey, it happened, so I guess maybe we shouldn't question it. But Dinah's being pretty literal when she says staff meetings, since, of course, they use both staffs to train. So I don't know if that was a pun that the writers were going for or just something I picked up. And this reminds me way back in Batgirl number seven in the Gail Simone run because they talk and fight. Wisdom is bestowed upon Babs. And here, the connection is made between Hook and all of the villains. That Hook is the medium, at least, that the Big Bad is using to bring these villains together. It's also good because Dinah makes critiques of Batgirl's character without being heavy-handed, and this is perhaps the first time that we've really seen that in this particular Batgirl run. 
this this scene is great because I think we start to realize that Babs has been so out of whack because of all of this craziness and perhaps you know something there is something amiss something more internal than external so they go try to find Frankie and I'm wondering how did Frankie leave the apartment and was she taken because it's sort of odd and it's that's never really explored so it's a bit of a mystery I mean the crutches are there and then the, the cell phone of course so you kind of wonder what's going on with that and then Hook just looking at Hook and what's going on there I had no idea it was so big you know what with the concert the building how does it get its revenue uh, I guess it's not a free site but I do wonder I guess it's like Facebook but you still kind of wonder how Facebook gets this money too I guess all those games and they make you buy things so Batgirl and Dinah go on a mission which I loved of course and Batgirl is using different tech and at first I thought she was going to go up through the building with her bike like that old school issue if you remember those bikers going up through the apartment building to get to Batgirl but I guess that would be a little too conspicuous I like the silent panels of Batgirl making her way through the building. So this issue, along with Dinah being a focus, I, I think we also have a focus on Frankie and Hook, obviously. And at one point it made me wonder if Frankie was the bad guy. But boy was I wrong here, since Frankie is, you know, seeing images of Babs in different points of her life and concludes that she is Batgirl. One of the questions is, however, uh, on the outside when Batgirl and Dinah were looking and she was using infrared and, and seeing the heat signatures. She said there were two people in the server room. So Frankie is obviously one, but who is the other person that's in the server room? Hopefully we figure that out. I'm sure it's shocking, but I, I don't know who it is right now. But we find out. So here's the thing. This is the big explosion, mind exploding everywhere, what made me think. We find out that the big bad is Barbara herself. And this is almost Oracle versus Batgirl, but since Oracle has really never technically existed in the New 52, it is more likely Barbara versus Batgirl. So the algorithm, her brain scan, has infiltrated Hook, and I wonder why choose Hook to attack. You know, is it merely because it's a social networking site, so they're far-reaching fingers that this algorithm can use? Also, with the algorithm, when we come upon Frankie, we see all these third-person perspective pictures of major points in Barbara's life. And I'm wondering, given the fact that the algorithm is, in fact, Barbara, shouldn't those images be captured as first-person since the algorithm is Barbara? <laughs> and so you'd be experiencing first life. So instead of seeing Barbara and the Joker you know, at her doorstep, wouldn't you just see the Joker and the gun in the perspective of Barbara? So I liked this issue. I liked this issue primarily because of the street level action that only happens a couple of times uh, with some minor beefs that Babs has got to get through. But mainly it's, it's Barbara sorting through some of her personal issues and trying to make sense of what is going on with herself. And I like seeing the use of Babs' cast and bringing back some others that we haven't seen. Okay, so that's primarily why I like it. The downside is, what the devil is going on? Okay, I, I think I'll leave it at that. So, we're going to do Secret Origins 10 to find out what is going on, and hopefully that will explain it, and then I'll talk, I'll talk more about this. But... 
let's just say Barbara versus Batgirl is a is a pretty intense story change and and I've I mean obviously I was wrong since I was thinking well maybe it's James Jr. maybe it's Dinah I don't know could have been Frankie but it's actually it's Barbara so this is a, 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 a huge change something that was out of left field I was not expecting it but I am going to give this 9 out of 10 bats I think that a lot of things were discussed uh, that I I had problems with with the bat and everything seemed with you know the bats and the social networking and everything seemed to be explained that made sense but let's see if this Babs versus Babs situation makes sense so let's go on to Secret Origins number 10 and we're doing the Batgirl the algorithm story and also in the Secret Origin was Firestorm and Poison Ivy if you're interested in that writers Cameron Stewart and Brennan Fletcher so we're keeping consistent here the artist was different Irene Coe and the chorus was hi-fi some years ago Barbara Gordon was of course shot by the Joker and rendered paralyzed from the waist down Despite what had happened to her, she never stopped thinking of herself as Batgirl. Her father saw to it that she would receive an experimental treatment that would place an implant within her body to network with her nervous system and help her rebuild the neural paths that would let her walk again. While recovering in physical rehabilitation, she encountered a young woman her age crying and asked if she could help. She was Francine Charles, a.k.a. Frankie, and they had a lot in common, having both been dancers and athletes, both losing those opportunities. Despite becoming fast friends, Barbara couldn't tell Frankie about her life as Batgirl before the injury. She had first become Batgirl when there was an attack on her father's police precinct. She placed her younger brother James in danger, donning a bat suit that the police had been developing to prove that Batman was just a man, and attacking a thug who had got loose, Harry X if you remember that character. The real Batman had seen her work that night. After a while as Batgirl, she eventually decided to quit in order to focus on her forensic psychology degree and maybe even join the police force. When a knock came at her door, though, she'd found herself face-to-face -face with the Joker. Becoming a victim made her all the more resolved to stop crime despite her disability. Using her mathematical aptitude, Barbara developed an algorithm based on her own brain scan to analyze social patterns and predict criminal activity. Then an information broker could use those predictions to send operatives to deal with the crimes. Frankie had been worried by this work, knowing that it could be dangerous in the wrong hands. Unbeknownst to Barbara, though, following the creation of her algorithm, it developed a kind of sentience. As the real Barbara moved on with her life and was rehabilitated thanks to the experimental surgery, the algorithm watched with confusion. When Barbara put on the Batgirl uniform again, it was the last straw, and the algorithm determined to take back her identity from Barbara Gordon. So, wow. So this answers many questions that people may have in Batgirl 39. I accidentally read this before I read 39, was confused, read 39, then reread this. So just be aware, do not read this until you read 39. So this answers a lot of questions like how is it Batgirl versus Batgirl or Barbara versus Batgirl. So it's very much the chip versus Barbara Gordon. Okay, and I, I'm going to get to that or the algorithm, I guess we should say, since that is in fact the title versus Barbara Gordon. But there are other things here. I think really the big thing here is, and perhaps the amazing thing, so applause to Cameron Stewart and Brennan Fletcher, the fact that we get an answer finally of how Batgirl can walk. 
and more so than we got or we were told that we got in I mean the very beginning you know of the Batgirl run with Gail Simone just that she went to South Africa or wherever she went to go get the uh, special surgery that 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 would help her walk again so here we actually have the answer there and I think also you know this issue merges that answer with Batgirl year zero or number zero issue zero and I just think it does a, a much better job it is very streamlined and it's well done obviously very short but I think that the writers do a good job of incorporating everything and making it just confusing enough obviously since the the algorithm is speaking that it makes you question what is actually going on i love the fact that she talks about having some sort of information broker using these predictions to send operatives to deal with the crimes and i feel like heavy 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 foreshadowing or just almost creating in our hearts i think a void or a gap of where oracle should be so it's interesting that oracle is very heavily hinted at however not mentioned because again she doesn't really exist currently in this universe so we figure out what's going on with 39 and i just wonder how this algorithm has has gained knowledge and sentience from barbara I, I think that's that's the first question because it's happened obviously we see it but are, is that going to be explained how it actually happened is it like Dr. Octopus in uh, Spider-Man 2 the movie where you know something happened and then he could hear his arms actually speaking is that what we're thinking with this chip you know implanted in her brain something has happened some sort of accident but you know what was that is the chip just so I mean it, it's utilized it's mapping her brain it's the reason why she's walking everything is very much connected I don't think we realized how connected everything was and then it's connected to this she's using that to create this 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 criminal algorithm as well which is very much almost like profiling so wow everything's really wrapped together which I think is great but how has this how has this happened? So that's my one question. How is Barbara gonna fight this? When you are essentially fighting yourself, you're fighting something that is inside of you that if in fact she was getting photographed by a dagger type, if she was making calls to Liam somehow, well, I guess the algorithm was doing that using the computer, so that, that answers that question. But if she was not herself or I mean, has she had lapses in where she's been bodily or or cognitively? Have there been lapses? How how do you fight that when something is inside your mind and could could take you over at any point? And so my main concern here, number one, I want these questions answered, but number two, I am so concerned with the stakes for this type of fight. I think, you know, I asked I asked Donovan and I said, you know, what do you think about this? And and he really likes the fact that they are doing something different. And I uh, I don't know if it's me fearful of change, but I almost wanted it to be a real life person that would have been super shocking. I mean, this is super shocking. But my fear is that the stakes are so high with this particular story and what is going on that this may irrevocably change Babs. Because if this chip is so connected with everything, could it not, number one, paralyze her again? Because it is the thing that is controlling and helping her walk. 
Could it not mind wipe Babs? Was in, in 39, remember when you walk in and, and, and Phil's talking about basically a hard reset being done on Riot Black. Could that be a dangerous foreshadowing? And, I mean, what does that mean for us as readers, for, for Barbara, the character, to have her mind wiped and to, you know, completely start off new? Uh, which is very similar to what is going on or what had happened to Captain Marvel over there. Uh, just with, you know, she was having the trouble with whenever she was using her powers, and especially with flight. It was too much pressure, basically, on her brain. And now she's lost a significant amount of, like, history and time and memory. So, is this about to happen? And, you know, are we going to almost do a soft reboot with like a completely new Barbara Gordon you know are we ushering in Oracle but how can Barbara Gordon be Oracle when it's like a completely new person she's got none of that past yeah I'm just I'm, I'm fearful of this I, I feel like you know looking at Raya Black and, and all of that stuff that can be done to him I feel like the same thing will happen to Babs and you know, I just don't know if she can fight this algorithm without completely destroying it and getting rid of it. I don't know if there's any way to keep it intact there. So that is my concern that the Babs that we know and love right now is going to be destroyed. So, whew, yeah, so I'm worried about that. I do like seeing Frankie and Babs meeting. That was mentioned in 35. They met three and a half years ago in Physio. So I'm glad that the writers brought that back. Had that cont continuity. Liked seeing them together. A little too heavy when Babs was, you know, flinging Frankie over her shoulder and saying, a psychopath won't stop. I mean, is Frankie going to go out and darken alleys and try to fight some psychopaths? I don't know about that. I'm never going to get over the ballet business. Gymnastics is the way to go, and that's really what it should be. But like I said, I think that this was a great origin to a certain extent. Well, if we can really call it an origin, because I think a lot of it's continuing off. But just, I think, doing a good job of answering the question of how she can walk and, of course, uh, refreshing background number zero. But, hey, this is... I think the stakes are super high here, so I, I am concerned about that. Miss Babs Tar, the the art was fine. I liked it, but I've gotten used to, to what Babs is doing over there, so can't wait to see that again in 40, which is the last issue of that arc. I'm going to give this 8 out of 10 bats. My final issue is Gotham Academy number 5, Save the Last Dance. Remember that? With uh, Julia Stiles, it was a good movie. Writers Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher, Art Carl Kerschel, Colorist Masasek, and Sergei Lapointe. All of Silverlock has just discovered Killer Croc, hiding out within the crawl spaces and hidden passages of Gotham Academy. Rather than telling him, she decides to question him as to where he got a picture of her and her mother, Sybil. He explains that he knew her mother, as her cell at Arkham Asylum was across from his. Hmm, that seems maybe co-ed situation shouldn't be in Arkham, but oh well. Before the building had collapsed, she gave him the photo and asked him to promise to watch over Olive. Hopefully, Olive wonders if her mother really remembers her, but the sound of Maps' voice from nearby silences them both. Spooked, Croc makes a run for it. Maps sees him, but soon bumps right into Olive. And despite his point of origin, Olive supposes that the lizard man Maps claims to have seen is a friend to them.
The pair continue to search the crawl spaces, which they suppose are a partial explanation for all the noises they've been hearing from within the walls. They had thought there was a ghost, and Maps is a little disappointed to learn that there isn't one, and Olive admits that she also got swept up in it, but now she feels sorry for Croc and his having been lonely holed up in the walls since the summer, probably. As Maps eagerly leads their exploration of the old tunnels, Olive becomes nervous. Entering a round hall full of doors, neither of them knows which way to go. Fortunately, the sound of chains clinking from further down one of the tunnels gives them a lead. Maps notes that they are actually headed toward the blocked-off North Hall. Unfortunately, this path is blocked off as well, apparently by Croc, who didn't want to be followed. Maps promises that they can come back later with some friends and find a way in. Upon returning to the room, Maps and Olive find Olive's roommate Lucy all dressed up, apparently trying on her dress for the dance. She wonders what Olive intends to wear to the dance and whom she intends to go with. She'd heard about Olive's strange romance with Tristan Gray, and the fact that she and Maps' brother Kyle aren't together anymore. Saddened by that last point, Maps takes her leave, reminding Olive to meet her at 7 p.m. in her room. They meet with Pomeline and Colton to discuss their plan to use the secret tunnel to get to the alternative entrance to the North Hall and clear the passage. Intrigued by the revelation about the tunnels, Pomeline resolves to check the diary of Millie Jane Cobblepot for references to them. Maps suggests that they use the dance as a cover for their activities. Colton agrees to help as well, but demands that Olive retrieve the bag of tricks that she got confiscated from him on the first day of classes. Grumpily, Olive agrees, only to be surprised moments later by the arrival of Kyle. Ooh! Realizing from the map on the floor that it was they who broke, in, broke into the North Hall, Kyle angrily chastises Olive for putting Maps in danger like that. Despite her own instincts, Olive responds by asking him to the dance. Oh, annoying Pomelon and Colton, exciting Maps, and making Kyle uncomfortable. But hey, even so, he says yes. Maps warns that they will each have to find a way to ditch their dates on the night of the dance, especially Kyle, because he would never go along with their plan. Maps will ditch her roommate Catherine at the punch bowl because Maps is going with the girl because, well, her roommate didn't have it. It's almost a Gilmore girl feeling for me because Maps has on like a little tux almost, and it's like the the wedding uh, or the re-wedding of the grandparents and Gilmore girls, and Rory was the best man, and then Lorelai, her mom, was the the maid of honor or the yeah she'd be the maid of honor so anyways so that's why maps is going with the girl just to explain that since it wasn't in my little synopsis so maps is going to ditch her roommate Catherine at the punch bowl and after everyone else has got free they will meet outside after the photos are taken after that they'll head to headmaster hammer's office and steal back colton's gear and then they'll get through the passage and confront croc after reluctantly ditching Kyle, Olive meets with the others outside the dance hall, and they attempt to crack the lock on the headmaster's door. Using her skills at puzzle solving, Maps manages to unlock the door by solving a riddle. Inside the office, they discover many confiscated items, and along with Colton's gear, they decide to claim surprises from themselves, and Maps equips Olive with the crossbow, because apparently now Olive is Van Helsing. Maps then leads them outside in search of a snack for Croc, as it is polite, before they can make their way into the tunnels to the North Hall. While outside, Olive hears a sound and sees a giant bat flying in the sky. Instinctively, she fires her crossbow at, at it and shoots it out of the sky. Worriedly, she checks to see what she's done and is surprised to discover that she shot Tristan Gray, who admits that he suffers from the Langstrom virus. He explains that he was moved to the academy in the summer waiting for a cure, and while there he witnessed Olive going into the North Hall and how it caught fire. 
Transforming into a man bat, he went into the burning building and found her sleepwalking inside. After he brought her out, he gave her to Professor McPherson to take to the infirmary, and she'd asked him to keep an eye on her. Suddenly, he hears Maps coming, and he flies away into the sky before she can see him. Maps apparently has this power to basically destroy any sort of exposition going on because all the people flee that are explaining things that we have questions about. Maps drags Olive back, and soon they're in the tunnels and using Colton's gear to blast through the debris, blocking their way. So I guess that's the point of having all of his fireworks. Finally, they are through to the North Hall, and before Croc can run away, Olive calls out to explain that they brought him food. One over, Croc eats his fill and tells a story of an encounter of his with Batman. Oh, I love it. Almost got him. I threw a rock at him. He explains that he got to the Academy in the first place by taking tunnels all the way from Arkham, and it was all his mother who had told him that the two buildings were connected. Unfortunately, another expedition buster comes through. Batman discovers them and croc basically stops his storytelling so to be continued again fun issue i'm i'm loving 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 uh, this this book i think it's just great it continues to be a beautiful book however the cover again was misleading remember the previous one kyle is up there this one we've got you know Olive and, and Tristan macking and, and uh, it's weird. Olive's eyes are just like they were with the sleep sleepwalking. So I mean there's some hint to what goes on, but there was no romantic uh, things going on like that. So misleading. I like that we continue to see Croc here in this issue and he wasn't taken away right away without some development, which I actually feared would happen that, you know, he dropped the bomb with, with this photo and that, yeah, I knew your mother and I thought, oh, he's going to be taken away by Batman. But seems like maybe next issue we'll have some time with him as well, hopefully. I'm surprised Maps doesn't recognize who this lizard man is, but perhaps it shows that she's not from Gotham or just that she's not so experienced in the world that she knows all of Gotham's villains I just feel like as a citizen of Gotham you would probably know a vast majority of people due to police reports but maybe they aren't from Gotham when she finds Olive, Maps that is, af right after bumping into Croc, Maps says there were lots of hit points, but they never drop anything. And I was, I read this a couple times, you know, in and out of context and everything. And I, I don't know, I wonder if she was equating this experience of like running into him with a video game. I feel like maybe she has done that in the past. She certainly has talked, oh, that's right. She does talk about live action role playing and just role playing in general. So perhaps she was saying that, there were like she could have hit croc in several places but he never would have dropped like a power up or something like that that's what i'm thinking i like that all believes that she can trust croc and that he's a friend which is certainly i think a departure from croc's character who would probably just nom 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 on you uh, but i think that new 52 has brought along I, I think more diverse and more distinct characterization of croc i think especially through eternal it's also great that the Croc storyline intersects with the continuance of the mystery of the North Hall. And, you know, what a cool title page, by the way. As well as bringing the characters all together, which I thought was great. So another mystery that the, uh, the Scooby-Doo troupe go on. 
And what a wacky way to do it, you know, which of course involves a school dance and a BTW. Who in the world would wear the dress that Lucy has on? Please, please let me know. We do get some shipping from Lucy. She explains that she uh, has heard about Olive and her interactions with Tristan and that Olive and Kyle have called it quits. Boy, that rumor mill is flowing, but I guess that's the nature of a school. The meeting of the group, complete with an awesome map that shows maps making a note to buy a grappling gun, shows like a scene from Breakfast Club, which is awesome. do do forget about me. You know what I'm saying. I like that, yeah, we're five issues into it, but we do have continuity in this book. Lovely. And it brings up plot points from the first issue, like the fireworks that all have got taken away from Colton, a.k.a. Little Daredevil. The dance is a cover for the mission, like I said, is really great, though I do get a pretty little liar's vibe. That sort of thing happened in the first well, Actually, there's always a school dance in each of the seasons. You know, with all the minor things going on while the mission continues. I don't like that Olive asked Kyle to the dance for a variety of reasons. Number one, it goes against what she told him previously and messes, I think, with both of their feelings, and that's, well, it's just not healthy, folks. Number two, it was a bad move to use him for the mission's purpose because once that gets out, you know, and, oh, she left him with his cup of punch. It was so sad, that panel. And number three, you know, it gets Maps' hopes up. So just bad all around, negative, negative, negative. I like seeing all the people in the pictures. Maps as her roommate's date. The awkwardness of pummeling Heathcliff for some reason. Perhaps because Heathcliff is keeping his uh, lies from Pumline. Colton has a bad influence over Warren. And then you've got the headmaster being a creeper and drinking his punch. And then the nice image that Kyle and Olive make. I, I actually really like that and the dress that Olive has. Warren McGinnis, the kid whose job it is to distract Kyle, could be Terry McGinnis's future father. So there's a little trivia moment there. The riddle lock on the headmaster's door, great. And I love that it was Maps that figured it out, you know. You could totally see that because it's awesome and she's awesome. And suddenly Olive has a crossbow, which seems like a mistake. And uh, the first thing she does is shoot something that looks like Batman. But it turns out to be a man bat. Who in the world was expecting that? So the mystery of Tristan is revealed. And we get more info on Olive in the process. I wonder how Tristan got the Langstrom virus. And why people at Gotham Academy can help him. Because he was put there because they could find the cure. And I'm wondering about that. Olive was the one to mess up the North Hall, so mystery solved there. But does she have a mysterious superpower? Why was she at the Academy over the summer? You know, was it because of her mom? Was she living there at the time? And is this the connection with McPherson and why she cares so much about Olive and why Bruce Wayne was talking to McPherson about her in the previous issue? How intuitive that Maps knows Croc needs a snack, but what animal are they feeding Croc? Is that a deer? How did they get the deer? Because they didn't have the crossbow. Olive did. And um, how did they get just a leg? Did they shoot a deer and then saw off a hind leg? I mean, what? what where are these tools coming from? I don't know. The story that Croc tells them about, you know, I threw, I threw a rock at him is actually from my all-time favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series, Almost Got Him. Love it. So I, I'm glad that they referenced that. The tunnels that run from Arkham could be a good clue as to why we're seeing some Arkham-y looking characters around the Academy. But how did Olive's mother know about them? 
I like how there are these kids sitting around a crazy villain, calm as can be, and then the tink, tink, tink of bat pellets and Batman appears. So it's just a nice little gathering, and then Batman's got to mess it all up. This issue had a lot going on, so very similar to Batgirl, but it was so well connected and many questions were answered without divulging all of the secrets. So the mystery does continue, but it gives us enough answers to uh, keep going, to, to keep us satisfied. So I'm going to give this 9 out of 10 diploma as it continues to rock my socks, certainly. And just a little tidbit, Olive's mother, Sybil, escaped Arkham Manor in the pages of that book, and Professor Milo was recently beat up and arrested in Batman Eternal, which actually didn't make a lot of sense, but just so you are aware of other of appearances of characters that were found or relate to this book in other books. Well, now over to Chris for his Batman 66 review. Hey, thanks, Stella. As always, I appreciate you letting me give you a little break. I can't believe you're closing in on your 100th episode. Quite a milestone. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. I'm glad to be with you today. Thanks for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast forwarding. I'm Chris, and this is the segment where I review the Batman 66 title. Today, I'll look at Batman 66 number 20, cover dated April 2015. The issue's story is entitled A Stand Up Guy, written by Rob Williams and art by Ruben Procopio. The cover art was provided once again by Michael and Laura Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Our story opens in the daytime hours outside of the Natural History Museum of Gotham City. Egghead and his henchmen exit the museum with an oversized egg from a prehistoric exhibit. Just then, the Joker, dressed in a version of a Batman costume, complete with cape and cowl, arrives with his men in a purple and green trimmed version of the Batmobile and calls himself Joker Man, acting as a hero and quickly apprehends the confused Egghead and his crew before he can use an egg-shaped weapon, which is uh, over a confusing series of panels. And Joker Man even goes as far as to charming an elderly woman before departing. Batman and Robin arrive on the scene minutes later to the tied-up Egghead and are confused as to the Joker's motives. Joker Man manages to make headlines with his crime-fighting exploits. He manages to stop the Penguin and the Catwoman in separate incidents all to the rogue's dismay. Later at Stately Wayne Manor, home of millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson, Bruce is frustrated and Dick wonders if the Joker has truly reformed. The hotline rings and after a costume change, our heroes head to Gotham City Police Headquarters, finding that the bat signal has now changed to a Joker signal. And the hotline now has its calls routed to the Joker, even to the surprise of Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara. The Joker, or Joker Man, uses the hotline to tell Batman that the mayor has just given him the key to the city. With that, Batman abruptly announces his retirement. Haven't we seen this recently before? The next day, Gotham's police patrol has nothing to do, and the Joker drives yet another new Joker Manmobile and patrols the city with a sidekick named Gripper. Everything is seemingly under control, until an unseen new villain called the Pillager strikes and leaving notes taking credit for his crimes. This strikes Bruce Wayne as odd and a bit convenient, as he ascertains that the Pillager's crimes are really committed by the Joker's men. Bruce and Dick then wear costumes as the Pillager and Larceny Lad, and have Joker's men hand over the loot to them at the scene of crimes. Joker Man then goes to police headquarters and demands that Gordon O'Hara apprehend the Pillager. 
They reassure him that they're doing all they can, but the Joker wonders if the police chiefs are in on it. And getting angry, the Joker confesses his plot of the Pillager ruse. The confession is secretly recorded, and the Pillager and Larceny Land then burst through a window. They reveal themselves to the Joker as really Batman and Robin, and quickly take out the Joker. The End I thought this story was a bit too reminiscent of the first season of Batman 66 TV episodes of the Joker's first appearances, which were entitled The Joker's Wild, Batman is Riled, in which the Joker came up with his own version of Batman's utility belt. The story there was based on a Golden Age comic book story from Batman number 73, which was then reprinted at Batman number 176, and in The Joker, Greatest Stories Ever Told. Here I thought the story took a used plot and tried to ramp it up to the next level. I'm sure there may be some not familiar with those old comic book stories, but for me this story just didn't work and seemed to take its basis on previously used material. Granted, we had the Joker going all out wearing his version of the Batman costume and Batmobile. Yes, we had a nice cameo with appearances of the Penguin and the Catwoman. Further, we had Batman and Robin assuming the identities of costume villages, villains as the Pillager and Larceny Lad, which was something different. Uh, but I had a few nitpicks with some minor details, and they did add up for me. Egghead doesn't once utter a word with the egg or X prefix. It's the Joker that does. The mayor of Gotham City is seemingly depicted but not named Mayor Lindseed, or given any other name. Nor is he depicted as he has been in previous issues of Batman 66, or has he been depicted in the TV series? Why? Who is this guy? And why did the Joker have two different versions of the Joker Manmobile? I also thought Robin using the phrase Youthful Ward in front of the Joker, Commissioner Gordon, and Chief O'Hara was hitting a little too close to home. And I could never figure out what was going on with the explosion on page 3, panel 4. What was that? I'll never know. I think some of this is on the editor, and this is the second issue in a row where we where I've had some problems. I had no problems with the artwork, however. I thought Procopio did an excellent job, especially with depicting Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, evoking a look of from season one of the TV series, especially in the scene where Alfred gives them a snack. While I'm being hard on William's writing, I do hope he returns for another issue. The story title was clever, and I do like when we're treated to different creative teams on this series. Now, over on the TBU website, Ryan Blair gave this 2.5 out of 5. I concur with the score, if not for the exact same reasons, and will give it the equivalent of 5 out of 10 bats. How will Batgirl come to aid Batman on a mission abroad, taking on the new villain, Deathman? What classic Batman villain from the comic books will make his first appearance in Batman 66 continuity? What devious designs does Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, and her out Hilda have in store for Batman? These and other perplexing ponderables to be answered next time. Same Stella time, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris. And next up is Babs in the Tube. Remember, this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently, I'm watching the 1977 New Adventures of Batman TV series. 
So this is episode 6, Curses, Oiled Again. The air date was March 17th, 1977. Starring Adam West as Batman slash Bruce Wayne, Burt Ward as Robin slash Dick Grayson, Lou Scheimer as Batmite, the Batcomputer, and Clayface, Melanie Britt as Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon, and Catwoman, and Lenny Weinrib as Commissioner Gordon. Gotham City's oil supply is held for ransom by both Catwoman and Clayface. Nice little alliteration there. Who are working together. The dynamic duo, another alliteration, assisted by background Batmite, a third alliteration, attempt to locate the missing oil and stop the two supervillains. Take a listen. Greetings, Bat fans. This is Batman. And Robin, the boy wonder. And me too, Batmite. Welcoming you to the new adventures of Batman. Watch us wage our never-ending battle of good versus evil. Ride with us as we chase the greatest array of villains the world has ever seen, proving that crime does not pay. Get set for thrills and action. Join me, Batman. And me, Robin the Boy Wonder. And that girl. And me too, Batmite. In the super new adventures of Batman. And now, with the nightly news, here is Gotham City's number one anchorman, Boyd Baxter. Good evening. The top story tonight is the worsening oil shortage being felt across the nation and here in our very own Gotham City. As the thermometer continues to drop, energy officials assure us that a trainload of much-needed heating oil is headed our way. And... And it will never arrive. All right, Clayface. Let's get to work. We have a lot of oil to collect. It's working perfectly. Couldn't be better, and this is only the beginning. Yes, soon every drop of oil in the country will be ours. We'll sell this stuff for a hundred dollars an ounce. We'll be so rich, we'll never have to lift a finger again. Except to count our money. <laughs> <laughs> your heart out, Dicky boy. There's no way that jalopy of yours can beat mine. Don't count your chickens yet, Bruce. Hiya, Cape Crow Batmite. Look out. Yikes! Oh. 
can't stop it. Looks like Bat might won by the seat of his pants, Dick. <laughs> Bruce, the bat signal. Let's go. Nobody loves a winner. Hey, wait for me, guys. That's what we're going to find out, Batmite. Oh boy, I hope it's a good one. I'm really in the mood for some rock'em sock'em action. I assure you, Mr. Baxter, that the police department will be working around the clock to stop these oil hijackings. My viewers are demanding action, Commissioner. Now, what are you going to do about this? I've called Batman and Robin into the case. I'll keep you posted, Mr. Baxter. <laughs> This oil disappearing act is driving me nuts, Barbara. I know someone who can unravel this mystery, Dad. Of course, Batman and Robin. They're on their way. Actually, I was thinking of Batgirl. <laughs> no, this is far too big for her. Oh, come on, Dad. Batgirl can do anything Batman can. You know, dear, the way you stick up for Batgirl, you'd think she was your twin sister. What's up, Commissioner? A trainload of crude oil headed for Gotham City has disappeared, Batman. Disappeared? You mean stolen? Yes, vanished into thin air without a trace. Well, if you want to know what I think... This could be a big problem with this cold snap getting worse by the minute, Commissioner. I think... You're telling me. And that TV newscaster, Boyd Baxter, hasn't let me forget it for a second. You know what I think? Sounds to me like they're going to rip off a lot more oil before they're through, and then make a ransom demand. Well, I think... Barbara's right, Commissioner. How many oil storage depots are there in town? There are two, Robin. The biggest one is down near the waterfront, and the other is on the south side. Robin, you head for the south side. I'll cover the waterfront. I've got some things to take care of, too, Dad. As Batgirl. Well, if you want to know what I think... Hey, wait for me, Cape Crusaders! Barking bow-wows. Dogs or no dogs, I have to check that tank out fast. A wire walk. Leaping lumbago. There must be an easier way to make a living. Well, here goes nothing. Feet, don't fail me now. Holy no deposit, no return. It's empty. I'd better get Batman fast. So here you are, Boy Wonder. I've been looking high and low for... Get out of the way, Batmite. should do the trick. Oh, wow, it's Batgirl. 
girl. How did you know where to find me? There's no time to tell you now, Robin. <laughs> ah. Batman may need our help down at the waterfront. That's right. Come on. Well, if you want to know what I think... Hey, wait for me, guys! Okay, okay. Nobody's perfect. There's the oil storage tank. And there's Catwoman and Clayface. All right, you two. Cardboard. So they are, Bat Bungler. But I'm for real. Careful, Clayface. Not too tight. I want Batman to see how cleverly we drain Gotham City dry. <laughs> Thanks anyway, Catwoman. But this is where I get off. Hey, you! Batman, are you okay? Yes, but I'll feel a lot better when we've nabbed Catwoman and Clayface. They're up there. Not anymore! Look! Holy endangered species! Clayface turned himself into an eagle. So long, Batman. We'll be seeing you again. Let's go. Oh, boy. Those sappy villains don't stand a chance. Wow! I've never seen wheels move as fast as Catwoman's kitty car. Hold on to your socks, Robin. You haven't seen anything yet. I can't stand. It's tailgating. Especially when it's my tail. Holy litter bugs, Batman. Look out! Uh-oh. I'd better take an off ramp fast. I don't feel good. Congratulations, Catwoman. You sure gave those crime-fighting creeps the slip. That girl's a dynamic duo. You're not going to like this. Catwoman and Clayface got away. Terrific. Holy bad news. Here's something else I don't think we're going to like. Boyd Baxter's newscast. Well, yet another daring robbery has drained Gotham City's fuel tanks and left our shivering city without a drop of oil. <laughs> and while the guilty culprits roam our streets, where is that so-called crime fighter, Batman? What's the matter, Batman? Or should I say, <laughs> chicken man? Holy loudmouth! If he thinks it's so easy, why doesn't he try catching him? 
Since we've heard nothing from the great Batman on this case, I've decided to solve it myself. Hey, I was only kidding. Your action reporter, Boyd Baxter, will get results. You stay tuned for further details. As Batmite would say, oh boy, I think we've got big troubles. Yes, Commissioner. Batman, I need your help. There's a giant super tanker full of oil due to arrive at the Gotham City docks tonight. This shipment has been kept secret because of the oil hijackings. We aren't taking any chances this time. I want you two to escort the tanker into the harbor and keep an eye on things. Don't worry, Commissioner. We'll be there. And so will we, Batman. So will we. Systems check, Robin. All systems optimum. Hey, dynamic duo! Wait for dynamic me! You guys don't watch us. I'm gonna start hanging out with Batgirl full time. <laughs> Starting right now. There's nothing we can do now but sit tight and wait. Sorry to run out on you, Dad, but I have some work to take care of. And I can only do it as Batgirl. Hi, Batgirl. Watch up. I'm going to try and find out where Clayface and Catwoman are hiding all the oil they steal. That's no problem. With my super stepper, I can find it in a second. No, no, that's all right, Batmite. I... Batmite, really, I can... Just follow my nose, Batgirl, and I'll guarantee we'll find oil. Well, all right, Batmite, just this once. Where's all this oil you've been talking about, Batmite? We've been driving for hours. You're telling me? I'm starting to cramp up. Hold it. I think we're getting close. That way, Batgirl. You've got to be kidding. There's oil up there. I can smell it. Oh, all right. Here goes nothing. Shields, Captain. We're ready for anything Clayface and Catwoman can throw at us. Yes, but are we ready for this? Holy boob tube! It can't be. I'm afraid so, Robin. Boyd Baxter in the flesh. Oh boy, that's all we need. Oh boy. Well, I think it's a catchy little phrase. Ah, uh, good evening, dynamic duo. How did you know about this tanker, Baxter? Well, a good investigative reporter has his sources. And what I said earlier still goes, Batman. 
I'm going to break this case wide open and expose the both of you for what you are, frauds. Still mad at me, Batgirl? Well, there was oil there. Oil paint, Batmite. Not oil. Nobody's perfect. I smell oil, Batgirl. A lot of oil. <laughs> that way. Forget it, Batmite. No more wild oil chases. There, in that condemned building. You were right, Batmite. There is oil in that building. A whole trainload of it. Don't I deserve some kind of reward, Batgirl? Oh, sure. Thanks, Batmite. Oh, boy. What a bummer. Catwoman. Okay, we're in position. Excellent, Clayface. Those caped creeps above will never know what happened. Uh, Captain, aren't you nervous about being in charge of this valuable cargo? Not with Batman and Robin on board, Mr. Baxter. I wouldn't be too sure. They haven't done anything right yet. But don't worry. If anything happens, I'll be here and I'll be on top of it. Holy helium! If we could bottle all that hot air, Gotham City's energy problem would be licked. Never mind, Robin. I'm getting a funny feeling about this whole setup. Come on. I was afraid of this. Quick, Robin, check the cargo hold. Holy heights! The oil's gone! Mission accomplished, Clayface. Then let's go home so we can count our money. There go Batman and Robin. Quick, into the chopper. I have them on sonar, Batman. Nice work. Prepare to fire magnetic underwater grapple. Ready, fire! They stagged us, Catwoman. I need some help here. Sorry, Clayface. But now it's every woman for herself. No! Wait! Great scoop! All right, let's nab her! Batgirl, keep your eyes peeled for the cat plane. It's headed your way. Roger, Batman! It should be approaching the waterfront any second now. Batgirl! Look! There she is now! Come on, can't this heap go any faster? Catwoman's getting away! Sorry, Mr. Baxter. It's wide open now. Dynamic duo. Get ready for one whale of a surprise. <laughs> Holy harpoons! Here comes Clayface! Here he comes again! 
face, end of the line. As one woman to another, wow, I admire your courage, Batgirl, but I think it's time I showed you how catty I can really be. Holy air sickness! Batgirl's in big trouble! Enjoying the ride, Batgirl? <laughs> okay, Catwoman, cut it out! Oh, don't touch that switch! Huh? Hey! Don't go running off! I can't fly this thing! Oh, oh my! Oh, gosh, gosh! Oh, boy! I blow it again! Hey, I call me Bat Clutch. No, Batmite. You were very brave. Batgirl! Batgirl, you're terrific. And so are you, Batmite. But just one problem. Catwoman escaped. No, she didn't. She's hung up in that tree down there. All right, roll the cameras, roll the cameras. How about a big smile, Catwoman? That's good. Oh, what a complete catastrophe. This is Boyd Baxter here in front of WGC-TV, where I'm talking to Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. Don't forget Batmite. Oh, yes, and uh, this little guy here, Batmite. Well, guys, you finally managed to capture the oil thieves, and it's about time. However, the whereabouts of an entire boatload of oil is still missing. And I assure you that this investigative reporter will waste no time in finding it. Holy drips. Now that's what I call fast reporting. <laughs> Bat message. Clayface and Catwoman made quite a team, Batman. But a team that didn't know the score, Robin. Crime never pays. Well, how do I look, guys? Is, Is that, that really you, really Batmite? you, Batmite? In the flesh. I got a heavy day with that girl. She's gonna wonder where I've been all her life. And wherever you've been, she'll probably be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> and now for a special Shipper Spotlight. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let, let me tell you about shippers. <laughs> get over get get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Stop talking about that. Ship, ship, shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick, Dick, Dick and Babs. Batman and Cat, Catwoman. There we go for the shippers. Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien. Seth, Seth, Seth. Any shippers? I'll kill them. Dick and Babs. This long-distance dedication is going out to Ronnie Raymond and Lorraine La Riley. You two crazy kids deserve to be together. They, they, they. They did an on-again, off-again sort of thing early on in the Firestorm series. Couldn't make it work. Ronnie was in high school. She was older in college. Ronnie had another girlfriend named Doreen Day, who was a horrible, 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 horrible girlfriend. And then by the time Ronnie got his crap together, he got sucked into the elemental Firestorm. He wasn't even around anymore. 
So then uh, they finally were together at the very end of issue Firestorm 100. Series gets canceled. You don't see Firestorm anymore. They wanted to use Lorraine Riley. So where does she go? She ends up being Booster Gold's girlfriend. Uh, I know. Can you imagine? Really? <laughs> wow. How low I is that? I thought he was dating uh, his little friend, Skeets. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the only relationship he ever had. You know what? I think he probably treated Skeets better than he treated Lorraine. So uh, Ronnie and Lorraine just can't catch a break. So they're they're my Ross and Rachel. They deserve to be together. Oh. Well, thank you for your shipper spotlight. Happy to do <laughs> it. And finally, it is my literature recommendation. I am currently reading, and probably by the time this episode airs, I will be done. The... Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, I believe is is the pronunciation there. This this is just a, a lot of fun. Uh, the novel follows the lives of two Jewish cousins before, during, and after World War II, and they are a Czech artist named Czech is in Czechoslovakian artist named Joe Cavalier and a Brooklyn-born writer named Sam Clay. And they become major figures in the comics industry from its basic inception, I mean, shortly after Superman and stuff coming out, into its golden age. Their, their main hero that they create is someone called the Escapist. And lots of stuff goes on. It's, it's not only about, you know, the creation of the comics and everything, but... We have uh, Joe, who actually came from, you know, Prague and, and all this, this crazy stuff that is going on, of course, with, you know, the Nazis and their rise and, and starting to persecute Jews and, and others. And he's able to escape, and but his family is still over there. So a lot of the money and things he's saving up to, to get his parents. And, and so a lot of the things that they put into their comics are fueled from real life, you know, fighting the Nazis and, and things like that. And it's really funny because in the beginning, the editors don't want anything to do with that, you know, having Hitler being punched and things like that. And, and it's funny to because, you know, they're not in the war. And it's funny to, to think back to Captain America when that was, like, such a huge deal there. So you're not only getting to see the rise of this comic book and and the offsprings of this comic book like Luna Moth and and other little the other heroes that they make but you also get to learn uh, about them and their lives and how they're they're living you know Joe and how he's acclimating to the U.S. and and trying to get his family over there and Sam and and his life and sort of trying to figure out who he is uh it's a bit of a thick book it's close to 700 pages but it's a moderately quick read when you read because you just get sucked in and it actually did win a pulitzer prize in 2001 so i do really recommend it and i mean hey if you're listening to the podcast (laughs) right now then this is right up your alley to be sure so uh yes i i definitely recommend that well that's it for this show. Of course, you can send any questions or comments to BackRowTheOracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BackRowTheOracle. Like the Batman Universe on Facebook as well. And remember, if you're interested in writing for the Batman Universe, either reviews, editorials, or even looking to post news about toys and video games or books that are coming out or, you know, any any news items whatsoever, Dustin certainly could use your help and it'd be great to have you on board with that team. 
Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics and Tweaked Audio for sponsoring Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And just a gracious and warm and heartfelt thanks to Shag for coming on. It's such an honor, certainly. Well, until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?